start crinkling <laughs> welcome back to the media morgue everyone where movies come to be examined i'm justin alongside my surgeons of cinema uh, i'm danny i'm zach i'm wes each episode we review two movies one that's popular either by release date or general knowledge and one that's a little more obscure and try to find a connecting thread so that you dear listener feel braver about broadening your cinematic horizons but before the reviews we have some news uh, so we obviously are four hosts, and we each brought a specific topic to talk about today. I'm going to go to Danny first. Well, for yeah. lack of anything better to talk about, uh, there was just like a clip from the new Ghostbusters movie. That shit was terrifying. Where uh, <laughs> Paul Rudd like fights the little uh, Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. There's not much to say. I, I mean, the movie uh, seems to be a step up in, in terms of reboots from that one that everybody already forgot about with the mm -hmm. SNL ladies, which I can't uh, speak on its quality considering I haven't seen it. But this one's got all the boys back. Or no, you know what? Actually, it's only, I think, Bill Murray. Mm -hmm. uh, Rick okay. Moranis got like punched recently mm -hmm. and I, I think he has a cameo in this one i don't know but there was a video recently of him like getting punched he got assaulted yeah <laughs> oh god ran up to him he was like are you rick less anus he's like no i'm i'm the other one i'm i'm rick more anus i'm more anus but he was oh, already oh, like, oh yeah yeah <laughs> popeye the sailor man cartoon i i actually thought that 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 ghostbusters movie with Melissa mccarthy wasn't horrible i didn't think it was that bad but i feel like mm the reason why it's become such a thing like this would have just been another when people talk about ghostbusters they're not talking about a franchise or like a series yeah. they're talking about one movie but the bunch one of movie. But the, from like the mid 80s but the issue is that uh it didn't have to be a thing yeah uh like people were lukewarm on the melissa mccarthy movie and that's fine but i feel mm -hmm. like when this one was announced people were like Oh, finally, Ghostbusters is back in good hands. I'm like, it's just boys again. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's just dudes. Yeah. Uh, but it looks, it looks yeah. pretty. I just, I just don't like that it's like a series because after the original movie, like, what point is there in watching like the cartoons or you know the other movies? Once like, Reagan years? died, like, what reason to watch Ghostbusters? Well, that first one is like genuinely funny and like yeah. has original ideas and stuff. I just, I just never got like trying to franchise that. Yeah, I agree. Mm. It's a good concept. Similar to uh, similar to Jurassic Park, right? You know, in the yeah, sense that yeah. one good movie came out and then they said, I'm, we could probably stretch this, right? And then... I do love that know. third movie, though. I do. I oh, yeah. That, I hold <laughs> the third movie close to my heart. Uh, that was I haven't seen it. I was in theaters. Do you remember when he has, he's having that dream and he, like, sees a little, like, velociraptor? The, <laughs> the raptor is speaking. Yes, um, Zach, sir. Ah, uh, yes. I have uh, the mainstream trailer with Andrew Garfield, Maya Hawk, and uh, Nat Wolf just lurking in corners in different shots of the movie. Uh, oh, don't forget Jake Paul, dude. Yes. Jake Paul. I didn't even catch that. You told me that just a second wait, ago wait, wait. that Jake Paul. Zach, you know what's crazy about this trailer, or wild about this trailer, is I feel like Andrew Garfield was playing Jake Paul, and then Jake Paul shows up. And I was like, what's going on? Like, isn't this who this is supposed to be? Yeah, it's uh, 
it was it came out i guess last year at the venice film festival and it had people walking out of the theater uh because of how bad and uncomfortable it was Um, yeah i i I watched zach it was bad and uncomfortable yeah, it, it, believe it or not, this this movie was was so bad and uncomfortable to walk down. <laughs> well, he, he probably wouldn't allow them to really criticize him, or like he wouldn't agree to do something that didn't make him look epic. Yeah, I don't. I can't tell what Paul's role it's is. Every in day, it. Uh, bro, I mean, in the trailer, he's he blow. like <laughs> in the trailer, he shows up for like half a second, um, and it looks like it's during some sort of like. Um, I don't know what you call it, like focus group mm. type of situation. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's a producer behind it, but it seems to be like some sort of story about, you it's know, an influencer that gets picked yeah. up. Um, yeah. It's, well, if it's not Andrew Garfield cool, looks great. Like influencers, I doubt it would do very well. It, need, it needs to be like a cutting like commentary on the culture of like being an Instagram influencer. That's the only way to make right. a good movie. If you're like not really going hard on that then you know then influencers would agree to do it which is the plus side but the downside is the movie's gonna just not live up to its potential i don't trust the coppola to make any kind of critique is it sofia coppola it's gia coppola it's gia yeah which one is gia is that the sister Uh, is that a daughter i think it's i think it's the i think it's francis ford's niece i believe okay wow well get him out there the roots run deep apparently there's something <laughs> just in the wild. Have you ever thought about that? There's a lot of coppolas in a cage. And just just coppolas <laughs> running around. Yeah, yeah, right. Nick Cage is related to them, right? He's yeah. he's the nephew. He's, uh, he's another nephew. Yeah, he yeah, changed the name so people like wouldn't give him jobs just for being a coppola instead of being a crazy person, which they do now. So, Zach, are you going to watch it? Uh, I, you know, I mean, I like Andrew Garfield a lot. Um but God, it just doesn't sound appealing when people walk out of theaters. Although, you know, on the other hand, it does, right? Like you want to see what made them walk out. So maybe it's an acting mm-hmm. study, you know, on Andrew Garfield, seeing what he's been up to, how. That's my thing. Whenever, whenever something is like controversial, it's always, it always piques my interest. What yeah. don't they want to see? You know? Exactly. Uh, so, it, you know, it might be morbid curiosity if, if only that. Cool. We'll be, it'll be on the media morgue, I'm sure, because one of us will watch it. Absolutely. And of course the other. <laughs> uh, Wes, what's up with... Uh, the Long Halloween, everybody. Ooh, the Long uh, Halloween is right. But so, not how you remember. Not how you remember. So here's the here's the weird thing about this story. And Zach, you can you can like quarterback on this because I know you're also a fan. Of Absolutely. So Long Halloween is a, is a 12-issue Batman story in the comics that is essentially uh, the definitive... Uh, young Batman story like there's year one and then mm-hmm. long Halloween it comes like chronologically it has after. like every, the whole ensemble of it villains. has it has all the villains mm-hmm. uh it's by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale the Solomon Grundy issue that, my that's, favorite. My, that's my favorite yeah. um but so it's been used as a template for the Nolan movies it was used as mm-hmm. a template allegedly it's going to be the template for the Matt Reeves movie it's the definitive mm-hmm. like Harvey Dent style. it is it is it he it's it's the it's the new Harvey Dent origin it's the yeah. burn burn face thing um or acid mm-hmm. in the face in court, mm-hmm. I think is how it goes. Right. Um, but uh, it was the basis for Nolan's movies. It was the basis. It's going to be the basis for Reeves' movie. Uh, but we've never gotten a straight up adaptation. Is the Riddler just going to be Holiday? He's going to be going around killing people. Well, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. I think. I think the move. The Matt Reeves movie is combining uh, Riddler with Hush. Uh, it yep. seems like that's what's going to be happening. But in th- but this is going to be a, just an adaptation of the comic, and it's in two parts. And I believe Jensen Eccles is Batman. 
and Naya's favorite man. And Naya Rivera, uh, rest in peace, is Catwoman. Which is oh, really yeah. Zach, what did you think about this trailer? Uh, I really liked it. I'm a big fan of the uh, DC animated movies. I mean, like everybody is if you've watched them. And I just the like one of the most recent ones I saw actually was Batman Hush. Um, and you know, spoiler, I guess if you uh, if you want to see this movie, but you know they they do you know they how do I how do I say this like it's I'm just going right to like what the you know what no let's let's cut this out let's cut this out anyway <laughs> I, I liked yeah, it a lot huh great. what did you think I I liked it a lot I thought it was great uh, I watched it a while ago and I'm always a fan of seeing Batman doing his thing um you know the Joker's there of course the Joker's there we love yeah. the Joker um he's part of it yep Are you familiar with the story Zach the uh, no not really not really but i um i highly recommend it i, I finally read it like a, a year maybe two years ago around uh like batman day mm-hmm. it was all like fanfare yeah, i batman think batman day. turned like 70 or like 75 or something yeah old man yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so all the, all the famous stories were in in circulation again it's really uh unexpected and very surprising even if you think you know where it's going because of like the nolan movies and how they adapt to the harvey dent stuff it still has a lot of surprises yeah Um, my main gripe is that uh these animated movies just kind of all look they just toss out the art style they're homogenous you know they don't uh i mean if they adapted a serious house on serious earth the batman story it would be animated the same way yeah i would and that story is so famous because its artwork is so like trippy it looks like a salvador dali i think it's the david the david uh old man what's his name David McLean or something like that, but but I agree with you. I think I think the issue with the DC movies and, and Zach, you can chime in on this, uh, is I feel like they they've gotten into this continuity thing where everything in the same continuity has to have the same art style. And I think when yeah. it first started, they would at least try to ape the art style of the artist. Yeah. And now they're just like, we just need you to know that Batman and Superman mm-hmm. are in the same town right. visually. Yeah, Killing Joke. <laughs> Killing Joke was when I realized that they were just doing really pedestrian animating. Like it, it looks the same as like the animated series from the nineties, which is fine. But like these stories are so larger than life, and when people like demand that they adapt them, and you just do like like twenty dollar like cheap animation, that's hyperbole, obviously, but. It is kind of a letdown because that story in particular deserves so much more. Yeah, and I love the, you give long years and stuff. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, no, and I mean, from what I saw or what I've seen of the art of the Long Halloween, the Joker it just looks like a nightmare. Like his teeth. He's like oh. a Slenderman. He's my, that's my yeah. favorite. Yeah, so to, to not. I'm going to snick it illustration from Series of Unfortunate Events. Yeah, and, and to not capitalize yeah. on that look for this movie, I think, is a mistake. Uh, you know, that's yeah. just. That's such a staple. And. And you know, granted, like I mean, um, uh, the that art style is so unique and it's so like potent that I mean, turning it into into motion mm-hmm. might be yeah. different. I don't like I'm not an animator, so far be it for me to say. But like, there's so mm-hmm. much yeah. going on to like have that moving all the time is probably yeah. a lot of work, even if it's digital. Like, um, I, so you know, I, I could also see a reason why they might have that as a reason why they might have filed it down. Um, to to something more yeah. like Danny was saying, homogenous. Yeah. But um, yeah, Long Halloween is my favorite Batman yeah. story. Uh, so I am looking forward to this adaptation. People show it. Um, like my the killing oh, joke. that'd be dope. That'd be kind of sick. Um, they showed the was killing that? joke uh, that adaptation yeah, in theaters. theaters. They did. Mm-hmm. Oh 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 yeah yeah. Well, this is Maybe part one of, the, and I don't know how many parts they'll do. Maybe like three. Yeah. 
like four books Same per movie did, uh, or four for three. That'd be cool. I, I, the last thing I'll say about this before we move on is I think uh, I didn't, I wasn't sure how to feel about Jensen Eccles. You know, with these movies, sometimes you get a really good voice actor. And sometimes you just get like a fine voice actor. He sounds real good. He doesn't sound like uh, Red Hood. Himself. Yeah, he doesn't even sound yeah. like himself. Which is great. I was, I mean, I, I was surprised. Like, you know, I know that for the most part, Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill are done mm-hmm. as these characters. It takes a fat check yeah. to, to get them <laughs> like out of their Mark seats. Hamill's well, I mean, <laughs> he, he can't even try and sound yeah, like yeah. he did uh, pre-Joker anymore. It's like so, like, no, it's crazy. But, and, and it is a young man's game. And then you have, but luckily, yeah, Troy Baker is, is the, the best ever at it. I mean, if at, at doing that particular version of the joker's yep. voice he's untouchable yep. so um yeah I, I i'm looking forward to it my bit of news before we uh before we move on here is that uh recently the cw picked up a reimagining or an adaptation of the 1970s david carradine led kung fu series reason i wanted to talk about this is because um anyone who knows me knows mm-hmm. i'm a big fan of bruce lee mm-hmm. uh and back in the 70s he actually developed a concept for something called the warrior which was recently adapted into Warrior on Cinemax and then and then purchased by HBO Max. Pretty good show, I recommend it. But there is some contention as to whether or not his original concept was retooled into what oh. became Kung Fu with David Carradine, um, and that he wasn't credited for oh. it. Uh, you know, one of the reasons he wasn't cast because he had an idea about setting a Kung Fu adventure in the West because and he wanted to be Western because he's like that's the only way you can justify people fighting each other. Um, but uh, Eventually, what, what kind of happened was executives didn't think they could make a star out of a five foot six uh, Chinese man. Great. Little did they know. Uh, and this is before, Steelers? like, he was like five six. Dang. Yeah, he wasn't that tall, five seven, um, and one hundred forty something pounds. But um, this is before Enter the Dragon as oh. well. So like, he's kind of it, it's he's not a star yet. And then by the time Enter the Dragon comes out, he's already right. dead. Oh, so is this is this so before like Green this, Hornet or is this during Green Hornet? No, it was after Green Hornet. Uh, well, it's yeah, it's like the transition from Green Hornet into Long okay. Street, uh, and then like when he goes, he actually only starts making his movies when he goes to China, because in China the success of the Green Hornet um, made him a star, because they thought he was the he was the guy. They thought like, well, I don't know about that white dude. It's the Kato Show. Yeah. Literally, they called yeah. it the Kato Show in Japan, um, and so, uh, <laughs> and so uh, yeah, he eventually. Um, you know, he made Big Boss and uh, Way of the Dragon, all that, and then Enter the Dragon. Um, and but by the time Enter the Dragon came out, like uh, it was a few months after his death, and then Game of Death was the first like posthumous in terms of they only started filming some of it, and then they had to complete it with like body doubles oh, yeah. and stuff. And that you know, uh, and then that happened, similar to what happened with his son Brandon in The Crow, um, which uh, I also yeah, have seen. That might make it on the show. That family everywhere doesn't it yeah mm-hmm. yeah so but but this show uh it, it follows an asian woman uh and she is kind of taking the reins for i think the i assume the david carradine ish character um and uh yeah i mean it's on the cw so that's take it with the, the greatest sign <laughs> it's on the cw <laughs> just don't take it too seriously yeah but um i think conceptually i mean you know listen warrior is really good i think it i think it honored the um the bruce lee legacy um and i don't know if it's going to continue there's a lot of people who want it to be kind of you know want it to be saved um we'll see if that happens uh but i do think that uh it's a good show i would recommend it 
with Kung Fu, it kind of seems like it could be, I don't know, a little extraneous, but mm-hmm. um, what do you guys think about the concept? If you got to look yeah. into it at all before recording, I'll definitely give it a shot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, with, this, my with the CW, you'll get maybe a really good first season. Mm-hmm. And like, like the flash has a great yeah. first season. And then mm. you're like, this is okay for the rest. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think, I think even Riverdale like has a pretty solid first season. So I think we'll get a good one season out of this. Yikes. Just caught Wes on tape. Yeah. Admitting to I do. I do. I'm a fan of the Archie comics. What do you want me to, have you guys read? And it has a, it has a, it's got a Bates Motel. I think Bates Motel is directly responsible for the green lighting of uh, Riverdale. That's probably because that's it's probably got like true. that same like yeah. West Coast crime drama thing. And then I meant yeah. Natchkin Amick, not Sherilyn Fenn. Sorry, uh, I'll cut that out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, right. I, I mean, I don't know. I I'm excited for any Bruce Lee material because we have so little of it. Like mm-hmm. I remember I watched that terrible yeah. Bruce Lee biopic yeah, that came out a couple years ago uh, about him. Him fight challenging, um, yes, a, a but, but it was really about the white guy that both like Not it was, it had guy, like Billy Magnus in it, I remember. And it, yeah, it was about him and his love yeah, story. I, yeah, it was, I didn't it, see don't it, watch but, it, it's bad, know. but I think I anything with Bruce Lee, I'm excited <laughs> to see, but like or anything related to Bruce Lee is exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, well, then there was that part from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that oh boy. was really controversial. Oh boy, and Tarantino oh, yeah, kept doubling down and saying he was like. He was like yeah. this asshole and stuff, and people were criticizing him. Which, he but, but it's also a dream, like so like, I can understand both sides. You know, true, Brad Pitt true. would probably be remembering him as a douchebag because the guy had fight. <laughs> I beg um, of you to never any of you pick Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I, I'm hoping we can actually keep QT out of this show. As much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> the first time one of you like brings on a QT movie is when is when Medium Work dies. <laughs> 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 I think the only one we would be able to do um, I, I actually love is, is Death Proof. Yeah, I do. Glorious Bastards is very good. Or that. But I mean, in terms of something that like people don't know from Quentin Tarantino, well, Death, Death Proof would, would probably be the one. The entirety of Grindhouse. Grindhouse is one movie that's like two features. It's Death Proof and Planet Terror and a bunch of like fake trailers from like Rob right. Zombie and uh, Guillermo del Toro and, Robert, and Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, Robert Rodriguez. Um, what were you saying, Justin? I'm sorry. Were you going to say? <laughs> no, no. I mean, well, no, it's it's fine. Uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, Bruce Lee content is unfortunately very scarce. I mean, another uh, interesting note, they did a follow-up series to the original Kung Fu. It was called The Legend Continues. And Brandon mm-hmm. Lee was actually in it. He was mm. the, he was the oh, main, really? I think he was the main character. And he was searching for his long lost father who wound up being David Carradine. But then it's meta because like that role was supposed to be Bruce yeah. or could have been Bruce, you know? And I mean, they got away with it because uh-huh. David Carradine's character is a, is a, is a, a white man abandoned by his American father in China or not okay. abandoned, but I think his father dies or something. And so he's dead? not supposed to be an Asian person. Carradine's hmm? dead. Carradine died. Yeah. He died a, a, a few years ago. Okay. Yeah. Um, speaking of Quentin Tarantino, oh. you know, he was Bill yeah. in Kill That's Bill. Um, but uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of, um, uh, tidbit but yeah i mean i would just say honestly i'll see what the pilot is looking like but i think like just watch warrior because that's gonna give you the most um yeah the closest to what i mean as far as i know what his vision was and besides it's produced by his daughter yeah. um you know she has a direct connection to it so cool yeah mm. well we'll take our first break yeah. of the episode and then we'll come back to talk about 
Christopher Nolan's newest Men in Suits. Oh, my God. The bullet moved backwards. (laughs) The bullet moved backwards. Oh, my God. All right, so welcome back. Hopefully you got yourselves uh, some snacks. We're moving into our consensus choice of the day, Christopher Nolan's 2021 release, Tenet. Um, oh boy. Yeah, we have a lot to say about it. Here we are. Yeah, uh, this is a movie about guys in suits who give a lot of exposition and tell you what time travel is and mm-hmm. how it works. And uh, in the end, they, they fight a, a guy in a boat. Yeah. Yes. So that's Tenet. Pretty much. Um, I thought this movie was, you know what? I like it less than when I saw it. Uh, I saw it in IMAX. <laughs> I saw it in IMAX, which means I didn't have the luxury of subtitles. So for like maybe 30% of the movie, I couldn't really tell what they were even like talking about. Only 30%. Uh, well, like m- most of it, I was like pretty, you know, enamored by like the spectacle of a Nolan movie in IMAX. I mean, he shoots these things in like 70 millimeter. Sometimes like the theater where I saw it, they're actually showing the print. Uh, Mm. Me and Justin saw Dunkirk and they were, they were showing the IMAX, like the print, like the actual 70 millimeter print. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's cool. I mean, like the spectacle of that is great. He really loves uh, doing shit the old way, um, which I can respect. Uh, but then, like, the movie didn't really stick with me, and there's so much that I think is, like, unimportant. Uh, and the part, the parts that work do really work, but um, it's a bit too long, too, like, needlessly confusing, which is, like, how he's characterizing the back half of his career, just doing stuff that's, like, <laughs> way too confusing, like, unnecessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's where I'm at with Tenet right now. I don't hate it. Uh, yeah, so um, I was kind of obliterated by Tenet. Um, I went into it a little bit cocky, thinking that I'd maybe walk away from this understanding it than most people. And I don't know why I thought that. I'm no smarter than anybody else. Um, but it destroyed me. And it made Inception and Interstellar for me look like hand-fed Dora the Explorer episodes. Um, <laughs> I I instantly, within 10 minutes of watching the movie, I got a headache. I, I real, a real migraine watching the yeah. film trying to keep up with he's, it. He's really um, over the years, like, leaned into trying to be as confusing as he can. Yeah, and... That for him. And I appreciate that Nolan doesn't want to assume that his audience is stupid. Like, he actually wants to assume that his audience is always keeping up with him, which is why he has these rushed, quiet conversations and then moves on. Um, but I think he went too far this time. What if it's the opposite? What if it's like, I missed so much that the movie has to be good and I just didn't get it, you know? Right. Well, he, you know, there is that line where uh, one of the, I think Barbara, the scientist, says... Uh, don't try to understand it just feel it and that is nolan's plea to the audience to to not destroy him for this mess and masterpiece that he has created masterpiece uh, so i yeah so i i think i liked it i don't really know i grasped about 10% of the skeleton of the plot um and i really loved the idea conceptually i thought it was fun so i 
yeah, that's kind of yeah, that's, I mean, that's the actual like it. reverse segments where the the world is in reverse and he's stepping in a puddle in reverse and birds are flying up by yeah. in reverse. Like that's all that's all great. Like like that's that's where the movie really shines. That and uh, the protagonist's relationship with uh, Pattinson. And I'm not saying protagonist is like a substitute for his name. That's his name. That is his Correct. literal that is, name. That is his name. Which, you know, strike one. Nolan. Strike um, one. Uh, <laughs> Wes. Yeah. Uh, so I saw this movie twice because I like torturing myself. Um, no, I saw it twice because I promised two sets of people I'd watch it with them. And I was a bad planner. It was a bad thing on my, my part. Um, I don't know. Uh, I don't think Christopher Nolan cares about human beings. And I know that sounds like messed up, but I actually don't think he's interested in humans, like human relationships, people, romance. Like he, this is just not yeah. interesting to him. He is like, Very I cold movies. just cold, yeah. just, and that's cool, man. Like Kubrick makes yeah, cold Kubrick movies, cold. but also Kubrick always seemed interested yeah. in people, even if they even were if going it was crazy. just like domestic disputes. Yeah. yeah he seems interested. Still, yeah. And Nolan, Nolan does, and this is not a knock. Like this is just Nolan a kind of filmmaking. Nolan is a sexless filmmaker. He's very sterile, but there, there's never like. But there's he no, there's no, hands but, the, but that's like, this is not a criticism. Like I'm framing it as a criticism because it's not what I like in film. But like, you know, it's a type of filmmaking. And I and I think for all the action, I think the backwards fighting is great. I think mm-hmm. uh, I think Pattinson does. Goofy, Pattinson is is great. I think uh, yeah, I think good. Elizabeth Debicki, my tall, tall wife, is great. Uh, she likes six four. And she and she is she oh acts God. her behind off. But like, I'll be know. honest, I couldn't really like her. Her husband, like, uh, Trying to you intimidate mean, Kenneth, her and Kenneth stuff, Branagh? like yeah, the greatest living actor, <laughs> yes, Kenneth Branagh. Of course, of course, him like trying to intimidate her didn't really work for me. Like she could step on him. Kenneth Branagh, by the way, who has never looked more like Sean Bean in his oh, career yeah. than he does in this movie. <laughs> but, uh, no, but I think I think I think the film I think the film I, I like the concept of the film better than I like the film. I like the idea that he's making a time travel movie. He's clearly interested in time travel. Correct. It's really it's a really dope take on time travel. And it's the time idea travel that you're moving done in a way that we haven't seen time, time travel where you're really pushing, you're pushing backwards through time, which is mm-hmm. cool. Um, I just wish Nolan cared about human beings because that would make his movies significantly more enjoyable for me mm. uh, yeah. that's it's, like. no it's it's like um to your point it's almost like watching a time travel movie where you see the process of traveling rather than just getting to the to the destination yeah, yeah, yeah. the temporal destination which is uh interesting yeah um to wes's point i said this to you yesterday i think that nolan's concepts are his characters and uh i think that tenet is kind of the most egregious example of um of when the concept takes precedent because there's really no story like, and we'll get into it, but I think that the, the really the, the linchpin is reverse entropy as a concept, which like none of us are scientists. So we're not even going to go near that as far as whether or not it makes sense. Um, yeah. But it, it does, it does what it needs. If the movie says it makes sense, it makes sense. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like, it, cause that's sure. what the movie needs. In order made, like to, interstellar like science proof. He used he used the same uh, physicist for this as okay. yes, but I think I did see an excerpt of him saying like we're not going to make any sort of argument that this is right. scientifically accurate. Yeah, um, himself at the mercy. I think you make a case that he's kind of the most funded independent filmmaker next oh, to like yeah. maybe Wes Anderson, oh. but probably even more like Tarantino. Yeah, yeah, um, and yeah. so you can he definitely the see same weight behind him as like a franchise does. Absolutely, does. that's why he makes so much money, and part of that part of that is because of. 
of the Batman. I think the Batman trilogy upped his yeah. mainstream yeah. notoriety, but I then guess. like now people are like, oh, like you want to see something mind bendy, like go to a Nolan movie. But yeah, I don't know if he's trying to like outdo himself. Yes. Each movie because yeah. he definitely yeah seems to be. Um, and in a way, each, this movie is very similar. I haven't seen Interstellar, but I have seen Inception, Memento, Prestige. And this movie is a, is similar to at least Inception and Memento, mm. just with a new kind of, with some new k- people in it and some different um, uh, uh, ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that those are some of my, my um, primary thoughts and we'll get into more details as Zach uh, you take us through the the plot summary. So, uh, spoiler alert! Now we're yep. dropping it officially. If you want to see Tenet, go spend two and a half hours doing that. Then come back. Is really a girl? No. All right. Now <laughs> is the this is the warning. Zach, Last warning. Yeah, Final warning. Zach is the is the Wikipedia article written backwards? It is. It's it's it actually is written forwards, and then everything is written backwards after it I, immediately. I see. <laughs> Either way. All right, let's go through the Wikipedia, uh, and uh, we'll try to make as much sense of this as possible, and yeah, it's not going to really work. All right, <laughs> so let's begin. A CIA agent, the protagonist, that's John David Washington, participates in an extraction operation in a Kiev opera house. A masked soldier wearing a red trinket saves his life by unfiring a bullet through a gunman. And you've lost me already. Can I just say, Denzel, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be disrespectful. John David <laughs> Washington. <too> late. <laughs> John David Washington is always playing a fed. He has never not played a federal agent. He's just like, <laughs> we don't even know if he's not a federal agent in Malcolm. In real life. If I understand this oh. movie correctly, if I understand this movie correctly, they had to have all the, in the future, no, hold on. Sorry. In the past, they needed to remember before they like go into a building like that to shoot a bunch of bullets into the wall, and then and then when they're like extracting whatever they are, they suck yeah, back right? their guns, the, which kills the guys. Right? The, Why not just shoot them with with, with guns? That's this with is the bullets. problem with the movie is that there's no reason for them to be doing this. Like, there's there's no I can't tell the benefit well, it's, it's, to it's like trying to get your mind racing. But now that I like understand like most of the gist of it, it's like why why the yeah there's there's no there's no benefit it, so except for maybe like, like stuff. right okay. except for maybe espionage like but right. I can't understand why else there's a benefit to like. Well, pulling a bullet through someone as opposed to just shooting them because it hurts more because it hurts more to have a yeah. bullet unfired through you yeah. for entropy yes entropy and yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's for, science, for science fiction justin have you ever don't heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but he, I, I get what what this serves narratively like it's cool to see in the cold open something yeah. that you recognize and then something you don't recognize right but like yeah. we'll get into this as we get deeper why is Pattinson at the opera house? We never loop back and figure out what he was doing there. He was well, just there. With him, right? Wasn't well, that because he, he would have been shadows, right? he would have been sent by John yeah. David Washington if yeah. John David Washington founded Tenet. Right. Then he would have told him, "Hey, go." It's a par- the whole movie is a paradox. I think the the I, best I knew way from the very beginning that it, it was him in charge of it, sending stuff back through. T- That's like too obvious of a thing not to do. Oh, you know? is it? Is it too obvious? You get like, that? Did all of you yeah, out? Did I don't think it's obvious. What's at all. what's that short film? Uh, uh, Justin. Um, 
where it's like that old French movie from like the thirties that like they show people in film school. And he, no, he goes back in time and it turns out the thing oh, he's uh, 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 the tar- tarmac, the tarmac step. movie, the plane movie. Uh, it's yeah, I guess you could call yeah, it. it's not about planes, but it, uh, a flight. F- no, uh, he, he's sent in. It's like a slideshow. Like the movie is a bunch of stills. Interesting. He's sent back in time. And, uh, when he's a kid, he sees a man fall to his death and he sends himself yes. back in time and he, he falls to his death. He and when he was a kid, he saw himself death. dying. I was like, okay, so they're doing this thing. This is like a, it's like a tip multi-million novel. dollar, uh, remake of that. Like old. La jete, la jete. La jete. Yeah. Well, it's uh, so I, saw, I saw it coming that he, that it would ultimately all come back to him. I'm congratulations. I think the <laughs> the best way you can think about this is it's a, a fixed timeline, right? There's like three different schools of thought when it comes to time travel. Mm. There's the dynamic timeline where, which is like Back to the Future, where things can happen and then you can go back and change that thing, Whoa. like and, and you've effectively changed the past and you can do it over and over again. There's the mm. uh, multiverse theory, which is that. Which is what you see in Endgame, which is that anything you do in the past doesn't affect your reality. It just creates another reality, another universe. A branch reality. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then the fixed, fixed. The fixed mm-hmm. timeline, which is basically anything that was going to happen will happen. It will always happen, right? So uh, Determinism. Oh, exactly. Which is like the, the, the theory is like, if you go, wow, this is going to get dark. If you go to kill Adolf Hitler as a baby... Right, you kill Adolf Hitler, you replace that baby, so no one notices that baby that you have. I mean, that baby him becomes with Hitler. Becomes wow. Hitler, so it always happened either way. That was what was always. Oh. Going to Which and I you think, think that's where Tenet is. I think Tenet is. It's a loop, right? Everything yeah. that happened was always going to happen when he, you know, we'll get into this, but like when he encounters, you know, that person yeah. that was inverted, it, that was always going to be a person he encountered. It was, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is interesting. It, it, it's yeah. I'll let I'll, after this. Uh, we'll get back. We'll move forward. But um, yeah. It's it's trippy. Time travel is always tricky too, from a narrative standpoint. Yeah. Um, because as many problems that it, as it might allow you to avoid or fix, it creates a bunch more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I I was very engaged. If there's one thing Nolan knows how to do, it's open a film. Um, especially with an action sequence, um, mm-hmm. and uh, very similar to like you know the Dark Knight, right, with the bank robbery, mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and to Memento. I think the first scene of Memento isn't he like in that he's like driving in the car and he's like, how did I get here? Is that how the movie starts? Oh, he, well, no, he the opened first scene of Memento is uh, the guy getting shot, right, and he's shot. the negative, right. the picture. Yeah, that's right, that's right, and then he's shaking it. Yeah, um, uh, but yeah, so I mean, I'll just maybe I'll say my thoughts about. John David Washington now because Wes opened the the, the floodgate. Um, I I wanted to enjoy him more in this movie. Yeah, I I'm still not sure whether or not was I he, you think I he wasn't like great. Him. No, go ahead. Justin. And I and I because that, I've seen him that line where he shows up and he's like, "Hey, I ordered." Dude, dude, Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan, this is your first black American lead and you have him say a line about hot sauce? Are you serious? Yeah, I ordered some pudding. I I, I actually, I have a theory. I think John David Washington ad-libbed that line. I think he did because there's no way. He's so loose on that line and he's so stiff in the rest of the movie. And it's not, look, I'm a hater. I will hate on anyone. (laughs) 
I, I don't think it's his fault in this movie. I think the script is I is ninety. Was fine. I think I think he, his script S- is same same with Pattinson. It's like the script's not giving him what. Good. Yeah, because the again the concept just is in the like a stiff, you know, uh, tight laced Nolan movie. But he didn't pass out when uh, that bullet flew back into the gun, and that was the first mistake of the movie. I would have died. That would have that would have <laughs> killed me effectively if you saw that happen. Anytime she's like, oh, so the, the, these are two bullets. One of them can fly back into my hand because it's moving backwards, and he's like. Oh, great. I would what are you talking about? You needed which, okay, which brings us back, which brings us back to the synopsis. So Yeah, yeah, go, go just yeah. Here we are. Uh, after seizing the artif- after seizing an artifact, excuse me, the protagonist is captured by mercenaries, right? So this is right after the opera house sequence. Mm-hmm. He is tortured and consumes cyanide. He awakens to learn the cyanide was a test of loyalty. His team has been killed and the artifact lost so how'd they get him out of the, the hands of those terrorists it was a it was a trick the, that was or the terrorists were working for them i guess were got, dying and getting shot <laughs> i think but this part wasn't a trick that part was real the craniums exploding and, and blood and brains coming out was real. It was very it was wait a, what about the yeah what about the people who die <laughs> what about the people that are no longer here <laughs> I think you don't well, think the U.S. government would execute a couple people as a test. Uh, You're absolutely right, or a couple hundred people. That's so convoluted to like wrap some guy into your time travel thing. Like, if you survive this one mission and like take the suicide pill, like we'll know that you're fit for time. We'll know travel. that you're good. <laughs> yep. Uh, yes, I think the people that he's captured by at the end of that mission are the people, right? That obviously are the people. That are conducting this test, and the terrorists were real. They were real terrorists. They and they were killed. Right here we go. Sure, man. Here we hey, go. Sure, let's, sure. Let, let's not dwell on this. There's so much more to get through. Yeah. Here we are. The protagonist is recruited by an organization called Tenant. Uh, Tenant. Uh, a scientist briefs him on bullets with inverted entropy, meaning oh my God. <laughs> they move backward through time. She believes they are manufactured in the future, and other inverted objects seem to be remnants of a war in the future. Now, let me stop it right here, because I will say I loved that idea. The idea of finding mm-hmm. artifacts from a war that, that hasn't, hasn't happened, happened yet? yet? Yeah. yeah. That's great. That's I a mean, cool idea. Good concepts. And then it and then it just like eats itself and <laughs> but yeah it's, it's an Ouroboros of a movie. <laughs> I, I will say I will say though the moment where uh, he is shooting the the gun and the bullets moving backwards yeah. right like I think I think like these are the moments where you're like oh like this is kind of a James Bond movie but not like mm-hmm. and I and it, it's this point of the movie where you're kind of like oh maybe I'm on on with this like I don't get the science yes. or whatever. But he's wearing a suit. He's shooting a backwards gun. He's getting a, a special. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah, the yeah. traffic. And, and, and Wes, to your point, if I, I could be facetious and say, you know, Nolan, if you wanted to make a James Bond movie, why didn't you just say that? But, but at does. the same time, there's no. Yeah, maybe. But there's no way that they would let James Bond do something this complicated. You know what I mean? Like the right. James Bond character wouldn't fit with a concept of this right. weird. Yeah. You know, you're so like it's just like there are Joker movies that aren't about the Joker. And, you know, this is like a James Bond movie that's not about James Bond in the same way that Kingsman is in the same way that like any Guy Ritchie movie is. Um, And yeah, I think that that you're right. Like at that point, you're like, okay, cool. He's got his cue and he's and he's like, this is what this is the mission. Don't really understand it. But world's ending, whatever. A a million movies have had that premise. Right. Here is where I introduced uh, theory number one. 
which is that this scientist is the scientist that sends the equation that comes up with the equation ah, in the future anyway. The one that- and then is in a loop with herself figuring it out as she's like oh, because they say it's a woman. That's cool. So that's, yeah. Hmm, I didn't think about that. Because yeah, later in the movie, obviously it'll come up in the summary, but they say that this was th- this inversion is is an equation that was developed by or, this woman or, uh, so that she could revert the time back to before the world became uninhabitable. Right. Um and and then she found out that people were gonna use it for war crimes because why wouldn't you? Of course, uh, of course. Yeah. Do and, crime. Yeah, that tracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'll ask Zach though is um so I had a question about your time theory model and it being fixed time. So they keep talking about like a ticking clock at the end of the movie mm-hmm. is that at some point the earth is going to become uninhabitable. Would your theory suggest that um, that's always going to happen? Like nothing they do is ever going to avoid whatever apocalypse the future is. Um, they're just wasting time by sending things back. Like they're just trying to avoid the inevitable. Is yes, that, that I guess. I mean, the th- yeah, right. Theory? The world is becoming uninhabitable because of climate change, which for some reason they can't use this inversion technology to figure out climate yes. change, which is – that's the biggest crime. Will they go and get stuck in the Industrial Revolution? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I – so I mean that's that yeah that's that's the question that really destroys I guess well there's another there's another idea that like maybe the, I don't know if this will help Zach mm-hmm. or and Wes with what we're talking about but there's this idea that like Sater Andre Sater who is played by Kenneth Branagh was always yeah. going to fail right because obviously if the world had ended the movie wouldn't happen right so like in so, like if he had killed himself and set off the the time bomb. I don't understand that climax battle. There, there, there's there are no enemies. It's unclear. It's, there are no it's bad very, guys. <laughs> what? It's, it's the pincer. It's, they're coming it's, back. It's a, we're running a temporal pincer, pincer movement. Uh, okay, let's keep, let's going, keep going, and then we My will. God. We will. We'll address. Here we are. It. <laughs> All right. The protagonist meets Neil Robert Pattinson through a CIA contact, mm-hmm. and they trace the inverted bullets to arms dealer. Priya Singh in Mumbai. They learn that Priya is a member of Tenet and her cartridges were purchased and inverted by Russian oligarch Andre Sater. Wow. So, uh, th- you know, there's a really great sequence. Let's not dwell on this, but there's a really great sequence where they bungee jump uh, up to this like skyscraper yeah, yeah. that they're holed up. In. I don't know how now, that is, works. No, me neither. Is that supposed to be them having had bungee jumped already? Yeah. Like no. inverting... Yeah. No, no, no. It's no, an inverted jump, isn't it? That's just them that. doing that. No, no, because you can't, you can't but they, jump up. They had it inverted. It's going in reverse, right. but we never see them jump off of it. I don't think. Right. I will no, say. No, because remember in the scene before, he's like, um, they're talking about it. And he's like, you said we won't dwell on this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Every, every time there's I, action I in this. I not thought about the movie that much. It, it really does kind of fall apart. Yeah, know? it does. Uh, well, I was going to say, I don't think, I think they literally did that jump. I don't think they invert, because they're introduced to, to the inversion turnstile in that one scene, right? So, oh, yeah. and, and they can't breathe regular oxygen because you can't breathe oxygen backwards thank you um so <laughs> i, I fire, right? R- right exactly so i th- i i think they would have had those oxygen things i think nolan pr- hopefully would have made a thing about showing them being inverted there right i i don't think they're i think the first time that the protagonist inverts himself is in that one scene 
where he makes the decision to do so. Or, or the actual ropes, like the bungee ropes themselves, were inverted ropes that someone sent back. Oh, they wouldn't operate. This yeah, way maybe regular ropes. <laughs> but they, right, no, exactly. That's why it's backwards. It would. Yeah, no. Like yeah, they, they don't have to be inverted, Zach, for the object to be inverted. Because, for example, obviously, like before the protagonist is inverted, he's able to use the inverted gun. So remember, like, there's the whole thing is like there's someone manufacturing this stuff in the future. And <laughs> okay, okay. So <laughs> moving on. <laughs> so the ropes were in. Inver- okay, okay. You know what? I hate everything. In London, the protagonist approaches Sater's estranged wife, Cat, who is Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki. Elizabeth Debicki, right? Everyone's favorite. Uh, an art appraiser who falsely authenticated a forged Goya drawing. This is where I stopped caring, and I... I the most pretentious blackmail I've ever... Goya, hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Goya is a very important painter. <laughs> you guys. Sure. But, like, but, leave it to Christopher Nolan to say, hey, uh, blackmail's usually, like, you murdered someone, or, like, you took you, you had an affair. No, nah, this time you falsely appraised a, <laughs> a legendary artist. But here's... People don't have like relationships in these movies. Like, that would be a non. I, I was not following that. I, <laughs> no, I yeah, was, like, like something Zach's, about yeah. like a, a painting and like a illegal art collector okay. or something. And I was right. like, okay, like that's all I need to know. Sorry, well, wait, I'm sorry, Zach. Really is this quickly, don't they? I missed the, it. The Wikipedia article may not say this, but is this after he meets Michael Caine in the yes. restaurant? Michael, Michael Caine, Caine and he tells him, "Hey, if you're if you're trying to look like a billionaire." Mm. Brooks Brothers isn't gonna cut it. <laughs> <laughs> he like class shames him, and then also like Michael Caine in this movie. Yeah, I'll do your movie, Nolan, if I get to sit down for the whole thing. Yeah, thanks for bringing him in. That just takes. I'm, in, me out I'm of only it. in there for 20 minutes, and then I'm gone, and I'm gonna eat during the filming. <laughs> He's eating steak. <laughs> His lips are wet. It's a point. It's anyway. a pointless thing. Yeah, um, it's just no yeah. People talking to, to people talking. Hey, you guys don't know apparently, that? apparently, you're not allowed to sit. Except for Michael Caine. Uh, Henry David Washington and like Robert Pattinson and that tall lady on set just like standing around with their arms crossed. <laughs> yeah. Without, uh, folding chairs or anything. Yeah. Yeah. No, except for Michael Caine because I'm 80 years old and mm-hmm. yeah. you're damn right. I'm sitting down. Um, go ahead, Zach. She tells him that Seder purchased the drawing from the forger, Arepo, uh, which is a, a palindrome opera. for opera. Yeah. Um, wait, that's not a palindrome. That's not what a palindrome is. No, but it's just backwards opera. Yeah, yeah. Let's cut that. Well, the the satyr the satyr square <laughs> is the is 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 a pal. It's a giant yeah, palindrome. Exactly, and right. that's where all the words in this movie come from. Correct. It's a. I, it's like a. It's like a Latin, um, uh, like a Roman artifact or Roman thing. Yeah. That, that yeah. So it has uh, the word tenet in it and all that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh we're we're oh cutting that out. I sound stupid. <laughs> And that's like a word he made up for his movie. No, it's a word he, he discovered in a crossword puzzle. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Sater purchased the drawing from the forger Arepo and is using Kat's authentication. What authentication as blackmail to control her <laughs> in their relationship? The protagonist and Neil. For whatever reason, they couldn't come up with a better plan, so they plot to steal the drawing from a Freeport storage facility at the Oslo airport, which is really, the whole point of this is to just get her out from under Sater's control, right? Yeah. Because that's right. crucial? I, I Well, because she... 
Why did they do this? I, I knew a lot. I knew a lot of this would be us, like trying to figure out. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> but but I think because she she is the one that like is close to Seder, so she knows how they can kill him later on when they, you know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Right. Great. Here we are. There, they fend off two masked men who seemingly emerge from a turnstile. Mm-hmm. So that that's the big scene. Uh, afterward, mm-hmm. Priya explains the turnstile is. I knew um, when that happened that it was them. That it was just them going back. And oh, I them. yes, I also at that point I I assumed I was like, oh, he's probably fighting himself because that mm-hmm. feels like something Christopher Nolan would do. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't catch it. I'm sorry. No, Me that's neither. we're two on two though. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> My theory from the beginning was that everything was just him doing some shit back in time. Like, like when that car crashes in reverse, I'm like, oh, he's gonna go back in time and crash. The right. Yeah. Yeah. That's First which thing. is a very that like uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Right. That's that's what it's. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. another example of a fixed timeline. Harry gets hit in the head with a rock. Later on, he hits himself in the head with a rock. They never change the past. They always just completed that task when they went back in time. Yeah. God, I'm smart. Here we are. (laughs) Afterward, Priya explains the turnstile is a machine that can invert the entropy of objects and people. And the masked men were the same person traveling in opposite directions through time. Wow. So there's that whole uh, backwards fight, uh, which was great to watch. And, uh, and yeah and and at one point it looked like he was doing the exorcist like spider walk like he he was like trying to get up the floor like with his shoulders he was like shimmering yeah (laughs) apparently apparently uh john david washington and pattinson both learned how to fight backwards like they they, the choreography was designed so that they could learn it backwards and forwards yeah that's really cool well I'll, i'll i'll chime in here um uh, as the as the martial artist of the group, oh, um, okay. one of the things I noticed about the choreography was that the reason it wasn't very striking based, uh, there was a lot of grappling because that's kind of like it's easier to make that look like it's going backwards because there's no sense of direction per right. se. It's just like two people holding each other and moving. Yeah, but there was that point where like John David Washington starts punching, and that's when it looks goofy because he's like. Mm-hmm. Pulling no his impact. punches back. Yeah. Yeah. There's no sense of like him actually hitting something. Because I guess he's right. not. And then like what would why would a why would an inverted fight even like the person who's inverted wouldn't be feeling any pain, right? Because or would they they, they would have pain and then when it the would be systematically pain. relieved yeah. from them. Yeah. yeah. They get stronger as the fight goes on. Yeah. Which is an interesting thing, but no one ever said that. So. Oh. Yeah. Uh, this is a fake sci-fi concept. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, that's one of those things that we have just had to come up with on our own. All right. <laughs> Here we we can dissect this all day, every day. So we have to press. Uh, on the coast of Italy, the uh, <laughs> Amalfi Amal. I was trying to avoid saying this word, and that's what <laughs> that's what happens. <laughs> Cat introduces the protagonist to Seder and learns the drawing is intact, right? Mm-hmm. Because that, that whole mission w- was a failure. They didn't accomplish anything. Um, Seder plans to kill the protagonist very graphically. I don't know if you remember how he describes how yeah. he's going to kill him. Uh, no, he, he says he's going to he's gonna slit his throat open and then cut off his nuts and put them in, his, in the hole so that he can show. Yeah. And Which it's is- like, it's just a lot. <laughs> It's a, it's a lot. We're intense. We're crazy it's characters. 
So, uh, but the protagonist saves Sater's life after Cat attempts to drown him in the most awkward scene in the movie. This entire yeah, yeah. sailing scene is so that we just thought that that would be okay, and that they would just like keep. And I, I, I thought she was like pranking him. She <laughs> <laughs> thought she was murdering him. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, it's weird because like because Sater, uh, I think. Um, uh, uh, the protagonist somehow lets Sater know that like he 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 has a bit of information that Sater might want. Instead of just stepping to the side and talking about it immediately, they wait an entire like seven hours to go sailing just so that Cat can try to kill him, forcing the protagonist to win Sater's trust mm-hmm. when he he might have already gotten it if you just wrote a different scene. Right. <laughs> like it was just so. unnecessary. It's really goofy. Here we yeah. are. Sater Apparently the, they were filming with the audio uh, like while they were on boats and stuff. And that's why some of it is so unintelligible. Yeah. Well, which reminds me. So we can get into the audio question because the audio has been the bane of this movie's like critical reception. Yeah. Literally the bane of it. If you recall uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but but uh, Nolan has always had issues with sound. Like that's mm-hmm. always been a, a criticism. Uh, I don't I don't. It's not as bad. Uh, I don't think in, in some of the movies it gets really ragged on. I think. Dark Knight Rises is when it started to get. Uh, well, in the memed. Dark Knight, I remember mm. there's that part where he's like analyzing the bullets that he's shooting yeah. into the brick. Yeah. And if you saw it in IMAX and even on like the Blu-ray and it's stuff, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. the gun is so yeah. ear-shatteringly fucking loud. Yeah, <laughs> he he loves his loud fucking gunshots. The mixes are always weird. Yeah. But, but but what I'll say is, uh, the funniest thing to come out of this movie was, so no one screens this for a bunch of directors, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently one of the directors is like, I can't hear anything. Like, I can't hear any of the dialogue. Like, he comes up to him and that is his criticism. And the internet has suggested, allegedly, that this is David Fincher. That David Fincher went up to him after the movie was done. <laughs> it was like, I can't hear. I can't hear this mix. This is bad. I QT was there. Him oh, and sure. QT suck each other off. Not in each other. They wouldn't like each other. They like the opposites of each other. No, Who, they're uh, Nolan and Are Tarantino. They they're good friends. Are you serious? Yeah. Whoa. Nolan and Tarantino, they love each other. Hmm. Whoa. But yes. So the sound mix in this movie is suspect. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You need subtitles for everyone all the time. They're just the whole time. They're just they're whispering and really fast, like these crucial pieces of uh, pieces of plot. Uh, and you and I yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Let's continue. Uh Sater and the protagonist strike a partnership to retrieve a case that supposedly contains plutonium-241, uh, which is, I'm assuming, something for a nuke, right? Yeah. Probably. Plutonium, sure. Yes. Right, yeah. Uh, in Tallinn, the, the protagonist and Neil ambush a convoy and steal the case, which actually contains the artifact lost in Kiev in the very beginning, the whole, the whole point of the opera mission. They are ambushed by an inverted satyr holding cat hostage. The protagonist, Gip, are we? Have we? Go ahead. Have we ceased? Go ahead. Gentlemen, please listen to me as I recount the plot from this extremely convoluted movie. The protagonist gives satyr an empty case who retreats after receiving it. He rescues cat, but is soon captured and taken to a warehouse with a turnstile. So uh, this is where things start to really pick up we have the sequence with uh the car wreckage that Mm -hmm. uh, inverts itself and rewinds basically and the car Mm -hmm. driving backwards um that interrogation was cool 
It was. Did I understand it? No. Yeah, this is this is well, again where like he was interrogating her and it was going backwards. Right. That, but that that's but yeah, this is this is the part where where again like the audio mix like not having clear dialogue on top of then trying to invert said dialogue and repeat it twice is like come on, dude. You got And have it on the and having the Bane masks on. And then ha- <laughs> having a glass shield partition between them oh, yeah. like yeah, it, it gets It was the pandemic hard. movie. Uh, truly, because there are times <laughs> where you're like at Popeyes, and you have a mask, and they have a mask. And there's and if bulletproof you're on glass between fifth, you. Yeah, bulletproof glass because you know what it is. And, <laughs> and you're like, I would like a chicken sandwich, and they're like, <laughs> huh? So, yeah, and I think at this point in the movie, you know, um, yeah, it, it's basically Sater is interrogating the protagonist for the location of the plutonium, but then. Right. Right. Or the equation. Yeah. It's well, you know, it's or, it's it's the piece, right? The plutonium, the which is actually yeah. the piece. The, the piece. And then we find out that because uh, he shoots Cat with this inverted bullet and then we find out that he actually had already arrived at this place before they got there. Mm-hmm. So he went through the turnstile and and went into the future and then saw himself interrogating. It's like a weird it's a really weird moment, but it's where the movie turns on its axis. Yes. And right after that is where the protagonist decides also to go into the future, into the past. I'm to sorry. Um, which you can yeah, recount. I think, that. yeah, like he does it to save what's her name. Yeah. He does it to save uh cat and also yeah. to try and prevent Seder from getting the piece in the first place. Yeah. It, it's crazy. There's honestly not much, I can even say about the interrogation because the moment I start to try and rationalize it, the moment my brain starts to decompose. What if they made this movie without like all the crime shit? Like what if it like imagine like if it was in depth, like this world where time travel like this is normalized, like how do you make food? And you could have you go back in time and, and like try and make it really cold and then you play time forward and it's like your burger's ready because I made it really hot. Like imagine how creative they could have yeah. done. You yeah. could, have, tell a you could have you could have done a story where uh John David Washington's character tries to go back in time and get his parents to get together. Yeah. And then he ends up like in a car with his mom. Uh-huh. He's making and out with his, his mom. mom. Yeah. Oh. And, his mom, <laughs> and his father There's like this the older man Interesting. Who's, like, guiding him through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he punches the bully that shows up and in, in yeah, the parking yeah. lot. What yeah. movie yeah, yeah. is that? And then in the second when he goes back and, and, and Donald he, Trump he's, is president he's trying before. to get around uh, the, the first version of him that was sent back. Yeah. McFly! Um, <laughs> and then he goes to the Wild West. Um, I'm sorry, Zach. Go ahead. Let's, let's probably have like three paragraphs please. left. Tenant operatives led by Ives. Ives! Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson Aaron Taylor is in this Johnson. movie. Thanks for oh, Quit Silver. Yeah. Yep. He's, uh, he's back in it. Doing a Kano accent. Yeah. <laughs> I kept wondering if that was him. Yep, yeah. It's, yeah. it's him. Tenant operatives led by Ives arrive and rescue the protagonist, and Sater escapes into the turnstile. The group takes Cat through the turnstile, inverting them and reversing Cat's bullet wound, right? Uh, now, oh, nope. The now inverted protagonist travels back in time to the ambush site where he, where he attempts to retrieve the artifact but is intercepted by Seder. The best way to think about this is he goes through that turnstile uh, and it's like the world is now on rewind, but it's mm-hmm. rewinding at the same speed as the world does uh, at normally, right? So if he's traveling somewhere where it would take him half an hour to get there, 
it takes them it's like it's in reverse right so instead of mm-hmm. it being 11 to 11 30 it's 11 to 10 30 uh right. I, i'm so i'm sorry i hope everyone is okay <laughs> are you guys still here you didn't write the book zach <laughs> you sure right. didn't i sure didn't all right here we are um the protagonist's car is overturned and catches fire, but Neil saves him and reveals he is a member of Tenet. What? Right? Neil. Pattinson? Pattinson. Pattinson the whole time? <laughs> the protagonist, Neil, and Kat travel back in time to the Freeport in Oslo. The protagonist fights his past self, which was that sequence oh that we talked about, enters the turnstile, and reverts. So now he is moving forward in time. Forward in time. Right. He's just from the past point he traveled to. Exactly. So now he's back there, but he's moving forward. He's right. Uh, Which is like he pressed play and he's Mm. back in the past. Right. Later, Priya explains that Seder is collecting the artifacts to assemble an algorithm, which is capable of catastrophically inverting the entropy of the earth. So instead of right. So it's like putting the entire world through one of those. I guess basically doing what Superman did at the end of the Richard Donner movie. Um, Kat reveals Seder is dying from pancreatic cancer. They learn that Seder is using a dead man switch to trigger the algorithm. Kat believes Seder will travel back in time to commit suicide during their vacation in Vietnam so that Mm. the world will die with him at the last moment he was happy. Thank God that she told the protagonist about that random time where that oh, happened. Yeah. So he knew yeah. exactly when that was going to be. I feel like I feel like we're we're, we're being cinemasins, but on, quite honestly, like there are parts of this movie that I just don't think make sense. Yeah. No. And I'll be real with you, like I'm I'm not a nitpicker, but like when the mi- issues of the movie take me out of the movie and I have to think about the science mm-hmm. of the movie while I'm watching it. Yeah. I feel like there's too much science. Because what we're doing right now is not even like film criticism. We're just like poking holes. But this movie kind of, that's almost the only way to. You can analyze it. Because it's so. Because there's no story. There is no story. It's a a device. It's a technical device. And it's two halves of the same movie. In in the way that in the way that last last week, Dan, you were talking about how, for example, the lighthouse is like all form. But even the lighthouse still has a story because it's about these two characters that are locked in a place and going crazy. Tenet is. I think form takes over and Tenet is when they're doing the reversey stuff which is right. what you want to do but, but even right. then i mean you know he, he's shooting in like state-of-the-art 70 millimeter and mm-hmm. that's right 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 i i just mean in terms of like the conceit of the movie is is the it is what takes precedent more yeah. so than even an in inception because like in inception at the very least you're following leo leonardo dicaprio's character who like has this motivation to get back to his kids and he has this guilt complex about what happened to maul right right there what is what is the protagonist's motivation like Saving to really, world. I mean, he obviously he lived in the world, but like he wants to get with Elizabeth Debicki True. is really yeah. what it is. Yeah, he gets friends yeah. though. He's like, exactly. our first time, our exactly. first time, just I'm down bad. Get to the get to the part where they are they're shooting people and we doing are at the the home. I didn't understand here. any of that. Yeah, where is that place where they're fighting guys? Like, Nothing. what was any of that? Here we are. Let's I let's didn't even know what was going on. Yeah, no, there's okay. Here we are. The protagonist Neil and. Cat uh, and tenant troops travel back in time to that day, uh, where Cat disguises herself as her past self to keep Seder alive long enough for Tenet to secure the algorithm. Wow. Uh, Tenet tracks the algorithm to Seder's hometown in northern Siberia, where it is heavily guarded. 
This is where you completely lost me. They launch a temporal pincer movement with non-inverted red team troops and inverted blue team troops making a simultaneous assault, right? So the idea behind this is that the blue team attacks from the future going backwards and the red team attacks from the present and they are each benefiting from the information that they have like received from fighting this battle even though it's happening in from our perspective simultaneously right um god right okay <laughs> and so you know there's this big battle everyone's running around it's exciting john david washington is running faster than you've ever seen him go uh but he's so fast you, he is but you cannot tell who anybody is shooting at there there are no enemies um yeah and I think my the moment that I did want to bring up is the soldier that is uh, shoved into a wall. Did did you remember oh, that that critical yes. moment? He's, yes. he's unexploded. Remember, Dan? There's a hole in a wall somewhere, and then like oh yeah yeah oh, yeah the oh, debris swallows him back into the building. <laughs> hold on, wait, hold that on. guy's just he's annihilated. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Does that mean he was always going to die? What is what is happening? What well, do you mean? He's now a part of the structure of I, that building. So <laughs> before the other team got there, the team that's going in reverse would have had to like blow up that part of the wall with and him on, blow it up once the guys who were going forward in time. But does that mean that the guy there was a guy that was in the inverted team that blew up the building and flew backwards out of no, the No, no. Oh. Because, because okay, first of all, what a pincer movement is in real life is that two flanks of an army, they, two portions of an army or a group, a, ba- a battalion, they flank their, their opposition. So they go on opposite sides of it. A temporal one is they're attacking the same target from opposite times, which does not seem productive at all. Because why would you be able to, I mean, like, because stuff like that happens, that guy getting... <laughs> getting earthbended into the wall. And then you have like the... um the uh the the triple explosion that happens on that other building oh, yeah. where they launch yes, the rpgs yeah. and then it blows yeah. up but then reconstructs and blows up for again. reasons because they had to do that because it's cool because you got to cut a trailer zach yeah because <laughs> you can see guys going back and guys going forward and they're you know <laughs> take us home let's zach please it. let's let's go home at a critical moment an inverted blue team soldier wearing a red trinket Remember that. Who could it be? Sacrifices himself to save the protagonist and Ives. He gets shot in the face. Meanwhile, in Vietnam, Cat kills Sater just as the protagonist secures the algorithm. And boy does boy does Sater get it. (laughs) She like (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she shoots him in the chest, even though there's no blood wound. And then she like because she's been wetting and lubricating the the dock, she slides (laughs) him off the top deck and he hits his stomach on the railing and then flops off the back into the water. And I mean, like, I guess we're supposed to like we're be, supposed to be satisfied because earlier he does threaten to beat her with a belt, which right. is entirely out of place. The no, there's domestic abuse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also, a, this episode, by there's the way. a yeah, and there's a point in this movie where Kenneth Branagh just starts screaming, like, like he, the, most of his lines are delivered at, at like a heightened volume. He talks ah! about <laughs> you don't, you don't question the tiger. You know, you, you admire the tiger. Something about Logan Tiger. 
looking in yeah. the text. Yeah, uh, yeah. something about something. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's so, true um, nature. So she kills him. Yeah, and then what happens? Uh, the protagonist, Neil, and Ives break up the algorithm and part ways. The mm-hmm. protagonist notices that Neil is wearing the red trinket. He was oh, a soldier the whole time. Pattinson. Uh, I don't know if it mentioned it earlier, right? Did it? Did, did we sit? Sorry, let's. Uh, yes. He's, I he's at the beginning. Did. He's at the beginning. He's the, yeah, he's the one. It said that. House. It said that, right? Okay, yes. Good, good, good. We can cut that out. I just wanted to make sure. Okay. <clears throat> Neil reveals he was recruited by the protagonist in the future, and this mission is, from his perspective, the end of a long friendship. I like that line. It is. Yeah. It is. Gama Flynn's line. Yeah. Or, no, I'm no, sorry. No, no, no. Casablanca. Casablanca, yeah. They're, they're walking mm-hmm. off on the air, on the airstrip. Uh, it's the inverse of that. I thought yeah. that was pretty cool. Yeah. That, that was, uh, and it, you know, it's emotion. That's the only, like, emotional tissue we have in this movie. Mm-hmm. Since she knows too much, Priya attempts to have Kat assassinated, but she is killed by the protagonist who realizes what? He is the mastermind behind Tenet. But here's the thing. Here's the important thing about it. He, the protagonist, let me see if I can get this right, has an inverted phone. Yeah. And he tells uh, Elizabeth Debicki, whenever you're in trouble, text me and text me the location and the time so that in the he'll always have a a rolodex of the time she was in trouble so he can appear in the places where she's in trouble to save her right because she's Uh, already pre-recorded the messages for him yeah which is how he arrives which he was just hiding in that lady's car yes yeah yeah yeah, this is this is bodyguards and this is where the movie ends, and this is where I'll, I'll introduce the final theory that I uh, that I thought was worth mentioning. Is that um, Neil is his son? His is that son. Neil is Cat's son, uh, yeah, and right. that the last shot was yeah. actually supposed to be that you see the trinket on that kid's book bag. I mean, because think like the whole movie they're not showing you this kid, so you figure he has to be important. But I think like Christopher Nolan was like maybe that's one twist too far. He couldn't. He could not justify that. But, but the implication there would be enough, though, and I think the implication is there that it's Pattinson. Yeah. I, I think it has to be Pattinson because Pattinson is not blonde naturally, and that's a choice. Like they wouldn't have blonded Pattinson's hair if there wasn't a reason mm. for him to be, unless yeah. Nolan just wants Pattinson. He kind of has like, like a long kid haircut. So yeah. yeah. Also, yeah. Also, um, there is a uh, uh, as far as the name is concerned, his name Neil. If you take the French spelling of Maximilian. Uh, it ends with an with an e n instead of a a n, and then if you spell that backwards, it's the the it's neil and neil and mixum. Uh, so uh, like so, it could be that somehow or another, the protagonist sent Neil back in time to help himself. It's just like a matter of how old he would be when he got sent back, which is like Justin. What, where did you see this uh, theory? That, that oh, it was on it was lines. It was on the line. And also on CinemaSins is, is what keyed me into it. But on, online, I looked up like, oh, top. Do they already have a tenant video? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For a while. So fast. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah, they're immediate with it. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, summer, summarized thoughts. What do you, what do you guys, I mean, we, riff, we ripped this movie apart, which is what we thought we were going to do. Um, I don't I still, like doing it. I still it. think it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna give it. Um, I'm gonna give it two equations out of five. Mm. Oh, great. Um, uh, I ultimately I love sci-fi. I think, and I think sci-fi that takes itself seriously can be a lot of fun. And, mm-hmm. and I think I just think that for as great as Nolan's concepts are, 
and as good as his action choreography is, and even as good as he is at hiring actors, because he always has great casts, I wish he would have a screenwriter who yes. is more clued into humanity in a way mm-hmm. that I think he often yeah, does. He, he, yeah, he kind of has no business writing characters as robotic at this point, as long as he's been making movies. Yeah. And I know I, it's... I know it's not just a Nolan thing no, because while the movies have gotten that way, like again, you look at Memento, that's a character. You know, the yeah. guy Pierce's mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say even Bruce Wayne is a character. Like Bruce Wayne yeah. is a yeah. it, 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 the Joker's it, definitely the Joker's character. a character. But I think I think I think it really does John David Washington a disservice because I I think he just keeps getting stuck with scripts that don't really show off the juice he's got. You right. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think he's got a lot, and I think they just keep giving him bad scripts. Um, but I will, I will give this, I will give this five Neil getting hit inverted through the heads <laughs> out of 100. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing, Dan, <laughs> he, he has this like prestige, um, like aura to his films. People yeah. always talk about Nolan movies, like they're prestige cinema. Mm-hmm. So I think it is kind of dangerous that he always presents these prestige films as like cold, like kind of lifeless, you know, void of emotion. Uh, that's a problem I've had with him since inception. And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, banking on people not getting your movie and, and kind of feeling like they have to say positive things about it because yeah. they're afraid they, they don't get it. miss stuff. Yeah. Or don't get it. Um, so shit. Yeah. I guess I'd give it like uh 10 nomadic actor, Robert Pattinson out of uh 27. Can we just- <laughs> it's so cool how he, like he doesn't have social media or anything. He doesn't have like a public persona. Yeah. He just like, materializes on independent film sets. I, yeah. I, I just feel like, I feel like Pattinson was going to be good either way. Like I always, feel like Pattinson has, good. Pattinson's always good, but Pattinson also has the better role in this. Like he gets to he be does, the yeah. fun guy. Robert Pattinson in this movie, by the way, proving that if they, if Matt Reeves did want to do the traditional Bruce Wayne, Robert Pattinson could pull it off. Because yeah. yeah. in that suit with that gelled back hair, man, looking yeah. pretty yes. sharp. Looking pretty sharp. Looking also, sharp. Uh, instead, the Bruce Wayne we're getting is like a guy who doesn't see a daylight. serial killer. Yeah, develop that persona in the movie. Like they'll probably by the end of the movie, he'll be Bruce Wayne. Yeah, maybe probably. Zach. But uh, yes, I uh, I really loved the concept. It's right up my alley. I also lo- love sci-fi. Um, and just I thought this was so unique. Time manipulation and just kind of the what what you said, which is like showing actual time travel as opposed to just like boom there's a flash now you are in the past um but i think it just goes too far and it just needed to be dumbed down a little as 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 stupid as that may sound so i'm gonna give this uh three inverted aaron taylor johnson's out of five. Oh wow that's the best uh, rating that's the best rating <laughs> but, but rest in peace to aaron taylor johnson's accent which gets into a fatal I, I, I car accident a second. i felt like aaron taylor johnson died and i just oh, didn't no 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 his accent, uh, his accent falls down a flight of metal stairs during that um during that debrief scene because he goes from like whatever british thing he's doing like cockney to like straight up southern at one point um which what is, is he like, supposed to be is he i think to he's supposed to be cockney yeah what is a tenant agent. agent of tenant? Like he's a, yeah. he's a tenant yeah. soldier. I, I, I know we're done with nitpicking, but just yeah. one more question. Is tenant a, a U.S. government organization or is it an international body? Tenant seems borderless. I think it's like a private. Cicada thing. You, you know that Cicada Corporation? It, it's like really secret and they, they like 
getting mm. people and we, we, you can look it up. But that's, that's what I was thinking of it as. Ah. Well, well, I'll say one thing that is unimpeachable about this film, the soundtrack. Yeah. Right. right. Orenson did what he had I to do. To, uh, the, the, the end credits song is like a Travis Scott. Oh yeah. yeah. It's really yes. the, plan. the plan. It's really I've been listening to posterity on repeat yeah. for uh, the past few days that, you know, the, the thing that was in the trailer yeah. with that chord progression on the keys. So walking around uh, pretending like you're inverted. 100%. Hans Zimmer wasn't involved. Right? No, he was, he he was working on Dune. Okay. He was working on Dune right now. Oh, oh. Well, Give it time. Oh, but that's going to do it for Tenet. We're going to take a break and then be back with my selection for the week, Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. Uh, Stay tuned. Okay, folks, we're back from our little uh, lunch break. Uh, now we're going to kind of go into our uh, our second section, and we're talking about my personal pick for the day, Rashomon, which is a vaunted psychodrama from the legendary Akira Kurosawa, starring Toshiro Mifune, Machiko Kyo, Masayuki Mori, and Takashi Shimura, among others. The way I see it, it's about like a couple bozos who can't remember shit correctly. You know, right. it's not that hard to fucking remember something. Just say what happened. You know, these people can't can't do it. So now we have <laughs> the whole drama around no one being able to to fucking get the story straight. I mean, waste of time. Right. There we are. Um, <laughs> Wes, I know you've collected some letterbox reviews. Oh, you us. bet, you bet. So as we did before. Uh, these are three of the greatest letterbox reviews on letterbox.com. Mm. You guys should all go to. Not that we're sponsored, but maybe one day. Uh, <laughs> it's like Tenet. We went back and put Yeah, we did. We did. <laughs> so my apologies if you're listening to this and I mispronounced your name. My bad. My, the first one is non-rated but has a heart next to it. It's from Lauren Wilford or Wilford. We should cut that. And then yeah, it's fine. Go back. It's the same. Thing. This is a heart review from Lauren Wilford. This isn't about the fractured nature of the subjective experience. It's about how embarrassing the truth often is. Mm. Really concise, really good, mm. I think. Um, now let's move over to this uh, three-star one, also from another user named Lauren. I understand why this is considered a groundbreaking piece of cinema, but I just can't get past the hysterical crying and manacle laughing. It's just too much. I'm sorry. It was yeah. all caps. There's a lot of that. Thank you. There's a lot of that. And then our final one is a four and a half star review from Brendan O'Hare, which is Mufune is awesome because at any given moment, you think he's about to headbutt the camera. <laughs> yeah, yes. when we were on break uh, just now, I was talking to Wes about the whole hysterical laughing and crying thing. Mm. Um, it, it's so like theatrical mm -hmm. the way Kurosawa was doing it because, of course, he was like a, a theater director. Yeah, influenced um, by no theater. Yeah, yeah. The the people laughing in each other's faces to express that they've had like a, a breakdown. A psychotic breakdown. Yeah. Give more background on what that style of theater. Is. So, I mean, I don't know a whole a whole lot other than my theater degree uh, about no <laughs> theater. But it is uh, it is a style. It was a style of. Uh, I mean, it probably still is a style of theater theater in Japan, mm -hmm. uh, and it's very different from Western theater. Obviously, it's much more presentational um, since the 
the 20th century American theater has gone more naturalistic. So mm -hmm. when you're watching this, it feels, uh, the acting feels very different. But I think as we'll get into, I think Mufune is actually giving like, by, by all accounts, an amazing performance. Mm -hmm. Like I think, I 100%. think despite, despite, despite the acting style being different, I think his performance is really dynamic in a way that we can talk more about. Yeah. And, and so before I, uh, before I get into, um, going through the, well, before we get into your initial impressions, cause I know Zach, you saw for the first time, mm -hmm. Wes and Danny, this was a rewatch for you as it was for me. Yeah. Um, but I'm just want to talk a little bit about the, the importance of the movie overall. Um, it was the first Japanese film to win the Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival, uh, which is which is considered kind of the landmark moment in uh, introducing Japanese cinema to the international stage, uh, because uh, and it also brought them back into sort of a positive um, worldview after World War Two, uh, which connects back to what we were talking about last week with Godzilla. Also, uh, Akira Kurosawa met the, and was friends with the director of the original Gojira movie um, when they were both- Hiro Honda? Yes, when they were both uh, serving as assistant directors. Um, but there was a lot of kind of uh, back and forth between Kurosawa and the Japanese, uh, sorry, the, the military censorship boards over this movie and a lot of the movies he wound up making. Um, but yeah, it's it's known for that. It's also known for pioneering or at least being an early example of a lot of uh, cinematic techniques like handheld camera uh, mm -hmm. while we're moving through the forest following people uh, dappled there's lighting yeah yeah there's you know dappled like lighting meaning when the lighting's coming through like trees or it's obscured by something there's a lot of that in this movie and also uh, reflective light bouncing uh, they used a mirror for a lot of the um, you know because the it was still really dark even when they were filming cool. in midday in the forest so they bounced the light off of a mirror so and that's what like when you see those um, triangular looks yeah, yeah, you can see like it looks like it's reflecting off of something. So, um, oh, and the last bit of, of fun trivia is that uh, Kurosawa, Kyo, and Mifune all had birthdays within a week of each other. Wow, Aries. Uh, Kurosawa was actually born on March twenty third, which is my birthday. Uh, Machiko Kyo was born on March twenty fifth, and Mifune was born on April first. Um, what a fool! Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting that they all live together during the production of this movie, uh, which Kurosawa credit credits for um, helping increase the intimacy. I just think that's cool. It's a, it's a nice little uh, concept. Justin, mm -hmm. do you know how many movies Kurosawa and Mufune did together? Not offhand. I should have looked into it, but he Mufune was to Kurosawa as DiCaprio is to Scorsese. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or De Niro even. Yeah. In, in a, in a bigger way. Um, he was kind of his muse and, uh, he was in all, like I think Mifune Kurosawa origin story. Yeah. Yeah. And he was in most of his samurai stuff. Kurosawa was actually the son of, uh, a, a man who came from a long line of samurai. I know he is in Yojimbo, Seven Samurai, High and Low, mm -hmm. uh, Rashomon, obviously. I think he's in Throne of Blood. 16 films. 16 Blood, films, yeah. including Rashomon, Seven Samurai, Hidden Fortress, Throne of Blood, Yojimbo. Sanjuro. 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 A bunch, yeah. bunch, a bunch. Yeah. And so, you know, and, and Kurosawa had a career that spanned um, 57 years. So the man was, mm -hmm. was prolific. Um, Danny, revisiting this movie, I, mean, I don't know how many times you've seen it, but what did you think of it this time? Um, something like this is hard to review and like pick apart for me because it is, you know, just a piece of cinema history. 
like a mm. really important stepping stone for the careers of like all-time great actors and and an all-time great director uh like you said justin it, it was like japan's introduction to the world of, of mm. you know global cinema um for that alone it's like a masterpiece it's like it's like 10 out of 10 uh, mm. and i don't know if i want to pick it apart really because i don't think there's anything to be gained sure for me this is just a movie that i like pay respects to you know yeah yeah uh zach yeah i uh i i really liked it um I was really intrigued just by the, you know, the, these different stories. And I know that's like a, uh, and I know that that has like a place in cinematic history, like the Rashomon effect, you know, like just like mm-hmm. these different accounts mm-hmm. of these stories. Um, and I, I just thought that was really cool. Just like that escalation. Um, so I, I enjoyed it a lot yeah. and I thought, yeah, it was the, the style of the acting, you know, it just, you adjust to, and then you're like, Oh wait, this is where it comes from. And then you're just mm-hmm. like in it and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I always thought Rashomon was a word in Japanese that didn't really translate that well to English, but it turns out Rashomon is just their town. Mm. Well, <laughs> it's it's the name of the, yeah, it's the name of the gate. It means city gate. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that that's why the gate has has it, the kanji for Rashomon on it. Um, and yeah, that's that's it's that's roughly what it translates to. Uh, Wes. You've seen it a few times too, right? Yeah, I, I watched it. I watched it uh, the first time. It was on this long list of films that you have to watch if you want to be good at f- films that my <laughs> yeah. uh, that my my school gave me before I came in. So it was it was part of that bulk. Um, you know, it's hard. Like Danny said, it's hard to talk about a film like this without a trying to find issues with the movie that is just like clearly j- just a, a skillfully made film, but also. Yeah. Uh, also not sound like a film bro and be like, wow, mm-hmm. you, know, you know what I mean? So I think what I will say is it's not my favorite Kurosawa movie. I think, mm-hmm. I yeah, think, I, I think Throne of Blood is, is his best movie uh, that I've seen so far. I, I love Ikiru and Seven Samurai. I, but I think, I think what's important about Rashomon, which is true about most of Kurosawa's important movies is that you can see other movies riffing on yeah, the blueprint. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you, there is like I, people say this a lot about artists and often it's pretentious, which is like it's before this artist and after this artist. But I actually think, you know, you sometimes you have an artist that really does change things like that. You know what I mean? Like you have people mm-hmm. like Jay-Z or you have like Basquiat and you have like Kurosawa who like changes the language of film. So I think yes. you can definitely talk about other movies that are, are riffing on this because there's a bunch. Yeah. Well, um, th- those are all great. And I'm excited to talk about the movie more with y'all. Um, I'll, I'll say as a clarifying note for our audience, because there were some people I sent this uh, this announcement to and they were like, well, how are you going to relate those two? Um, usually we are more sure about our uh, as the host, we're more sure about our personal picks than we are about the consensus choice. And especially right now in a period where we're sort of in a dry release period. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, Tenet was kind of chosen after the fact. I think it, there are connections, and we'll talk about it at the end. Uh, but Rashomon uh, was something that, in terms of introducing, I guess, my taste to you as the listeners, and obviously to my co-hosts who all know to a certain extent, I wanted to bring that on. And I wanted to talk about it because, as I said at the end of the last episode, and as Wes just pointed out, there's a lot of movies and, and TV shows that have tried to do what, uh, or tried to uh, build on what Rashomon uh, started. My favorite is Hoodwinked. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wait, I think I, I wanna Justin, before we jump into the main thing, can we go around real fast and say what your favorite Rashomon thing is? Because I, I have one. And oh, you like your favorite it. version of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh like like okay, like a like a contemporary 
movie so that has done so the Rashomon effect. You said hoodwinked. Mine is Legends of the Dark Knight, the the Batman uh, episode where they all see Batman and they they all think he's a different version of himself. Mm. Ah, I don't know if you guys remember that one? Do you remember that episode? Almost got him. It's yes. like all the criminals. Yeah, almost got him. Story. Yeah. Also, a similar structure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you guys have any? I just kind of threw this at you guys. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's all right. No, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, the the closest example coming to mind is Knives Out, but yeah. not yeah. but not the end of it, actually, the portion where they're all being interviewed by the police mm-hmm. and they're talking yeah, yeah. about where they were during the birthday party. And exactly. like they replace who's next to Harlan based on like, oh, we were so close mm-hmm. to him and yada, yada, yada. It is really so. the template for like a murder mystery it story. Is. It is. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. I can't think of anything that really came before. Zach, do you have one? I I I, uh, I, I was not prepared for this, and I don't have one. <laughs> I, I just I'm made just it up. Piggyback, uh, knives out too. <laughs> I could say both. I could say knives out or hoodwink because I I like both of those. But I often I can't think of another one. Yeah, and I'm remembering now. That is that is how that's structured. Um, yeah, so basically, the the conceit of this movie is that um, the film opens and we meet a woodcutter who is chilling out at a uh, at a, this like rundown temple gate with a priest, and um, they're trying to stay dry while it's raining really heavily. And uh, this commoner comes up and joins them, and they're telling him like, "Yo, we just witnessed this. Uh, we were just at this trial." And we don't know what to make of it. Uh, there's this disturbing story. And they start recounting it to him. Uh, the woodcutter says that he found the body of a murdered samurai three days earlier while looking for wood in the forest. As he testifies, he first found a woman's hat, then a samurai cap, then cut rope, then an amulet. And finally, he came upon the body. Upon discovering it, he says he fled in a panic to notify the authorities. The priest says that he saw the samurai with presence that the captured bandit... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. He saw the samurai... With his wife, traveling the same day the murder happened. Both men are then summoned to testify in court where, where a fellow witness presents the captured bandit Tajomaru, who claims to have followed the couple after coveting the woman when he glimpsed her in the forest. And from this point, the story splinters into four different accounts. Uh, that of the bandit, Tajomaru, played by Toshiro Mifune. That of the wife, uh, played by Mas- uh, Machiko Kyo. And that of the samurai, played by Masayuki Mori. And then the woodcutter, uh, goes at the end um so we'll go story to story one yeah. of the other reasons i picked this though is that um in my first college suny geneseo i actually starred in a stage production uh adaptation of rashomon uh and uh it was it was cool but who'd um, you play Woo! who'd you play <laughs> i, I thought it was played. a big part <laughs> <laughs> i played i played uh the bandit uh, Tajamaru and uh, I'll when I'm editing this maybe wow. I'll throw up some some pictures of it so y'all can see when I put it on oh, Instagram yeah. and YouTube and whatnot oh, but uh, it was it was a fun it was a fun role one of the things um, we'll just go right into the bandit story because uh, uh, I think this is the one that I enjoy the most and I think that's intentional because yeah. Tajamaru is very self-aggrandizing uh, one of the things that I noted when I was going through this is how like what the chief characteristic of each character is based on who's talking about it. So in Tajimaru's own story, we have him as legendary. Mm-hmm. We have the, the wife as desperate mm-hmm. and we have the samurai as gullible. Yes. Pathetic, um, yeah. Yeah, pathetic. Yeah, yeah. And pathetic um, and greedy even. And, and obviously the, the woman is, is, is desperate, but she's also a little fierce, which is part of his attraction to her. Um, so yeah, we have the bandit talking about, you know, uh, I, he basically, claims to have tricked the samurai 
to step off of this mountain trail with him to look at a cache of ancient swords that he's discovered. And then in the grove, he ties the samurai to a tree, uh, somehow gets the drop on him, uh, and then, <laughs> and then uh, brings the samurai's wife there to look at him and laugh at him. And then she, noticing what's going on, she tries to defend herself with this dagger. So she's swinging at him, but he uh, is able to evade her. And, you know, and oh, we should also say trigger warning for uh, sexual assault, which is the conceit mm-hmm. part, yes. part of the part of the plot of this film. But he he uh, aggresses on her and then she begins to kind of give into it and is maybe even seduced by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they do what they do. And then afterwards, she's all ashamed and she begs Tajomaru to duel her husband to death so that only one man will have to know her shame. Uh, he decides to honor the request. They have this epic duel in the forest. Um, Tajamar reminds, you know, he talks about like, oh, he was very skilled. We crossed swords 23 times. No one's ever crossed swords with me more than 20. Um, and he eventually kills the samurai. Um, yeah. And the woman runs away afterward. And then they ask him like, what happened to the dagger? He says that he can, he forgot about it in the confusion but that the pearl inlay would have made it very valuable and he he's regrets leaving it behind. Mm. So um, especially yeah. for you, Zach, I actually want to, want to jump to you first since yep. you, yeah. you were the, you, this is your first time seeing it. Uh, what did you think about this recount? I mean, going in, did you understand that it was, you were going to see multiple accounts or were you thinking like, Oh, this is just how it happened I, until the next one. I probably thought that that was just how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's just, that's, I don't know what I was thinking was going to be the rest of it, but yeah, I think that's just what I thought had <laughs> happened. And I was like, wow, what a great battle um, right. between these two men. And it ends with, does he throw his he throws sword? the sword? He throws the sword into his stomach, which is a weird bit what? of choreography. Like he, he raises it, holds it and yeah. then tosses it down. What a choice. Uh, what if yeah. he missed? It's very dramatic, very theatrical. Uh, it seems like the type of thing that you would, that you would see in, in, like theater, like, okay, I'm prepping for mm-hmm. the thing, get ready to move scene partner, you know, yeah. um, uh, that type of thing. But yeah, he, he's, uh, uh, this is Toshiro Mifune kind of like, this is his spotlight, uh, as an actor and also as a character, obviously we see him again, but this is when he gets to do the most stuff. Yeah. Um, one of the things I thought was interesting about his performance is that Kurosawa uh, apparently told him to model it after an animal and he picked a lion. And mm-hmm. so, and I think you really see that like, He's sweating the whole time. Yeah. He's slapping bugs off of him like a lion, you know, kind of yeah. swats with his tail, um, yeah. you know, scratching himself. And then he's always crouched and low to the ground. Mm-hmm. And I remember one thing that I took from that when I was doing it on stage was such a pretentious actor thing. But I would like before I would before I got ready to go out, I would roll my shoulders like uh, like, oh. you know, like a lion kind of does when it's getting ready to, to, to prowl. And then that would kind of nice. get me into the headspace. But you do see him uh, kind of doing that. Um, uh, Wes, Danny, any thoughts about? I mean, I think I think also I, I read somewhere that Kurosawa would tell Mufune to pick a gesture before, and this might be a yeah. version of the same so story. Yeah, pick a gesture, gesture and that's the gesture of your character, which I think is actually yeah. a really useful way into it. And it's like a way of acting I'd never heard of before, which is because American acting is usually very much like here and here, like in your head and in your heart, and you're like not conscious your body. Yeah, yeah. And often your body, I mean, the major criticism of American actors is that the body gets left behind. So the idea right. of reverse engineering it so that it's body first. The body is like a symbol. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, you, do, larger do, than life gestures. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's really interesting. That's I don't know. Uh, I mean, Zach, obviously, you we went to LaGuardia for four years. Danny, you were there for a year. Um, they didn't they didn't necessarily there were there was an emphasis on physicality in terms of like I remember at least like uh, in certain classes we had to move like a certain element or yeah, whatever yeah. or like walk with purpose that type of thing. Um, but I do remember around sophomore year deciding that like I would give each character I had a tick because mm-hmm. like human beings have have ticks. We all have things that we do physically um and uh yeah exactly and i think that that helps because um obviously we inhabit our bodies so like we can't divorce the 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 character from that um so yeah go ahead (laughs) that's that's mine now i'm gonna take credit for that (laughs) i think i think but as as this uh part goes like well i i I think even more interesting than the actual uh story because each story i feel like doesn't become fully realized until all of them get unveiled but like yeah the the setup of having it be at a court and someone on letterbox actually said this like we never see the court respond we always yeah. we always yeah. see them responding to the court and i think it's because we're supposed to be the jury right and they're and they're on trial with us which mm-hmm. is interesting but yeah go, go ahead yeah i mean piggybacking off of that Shira mafune a couple times so he'll say like what huh yeah. he's, he's wanting the court to uh, repeat themselves mm-hmm. I, I think i think you're right wes that you know uh, as we go on the, all the stories are contextualized by each other mm-hmm. uh, and the next one we hear is the wife um yeah. and uh she for for this part i wrote down um that in her point of view Tajamaru is kind of mindless. Like in this flashback, he doesn't even really speak. He just laughs and then runs away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's very penitent towards her husband um, and and winds up being kind of like delirious. Um, and then the husband is cold. He's very cold in this version mm-hmm. of, of the story. Yeah. Um, she tells a different story to the court. She says Tajamaru left after assaulting her and she begged her husband to forgive her, but he simply looked at her without responding. She then freed him and begged him to kill her mm-hmm. so that she would be at peace. He continued to stare at her with a look of loathing. His expression disturbed her so much that she fainted with the dagger in her hand and awoke to find him dead with the dagger in his chest. She attempted to kill herself, but failed in all her efforts. Um, This part is interesting because it's right after we hear like the commoner at the gate say, oh, well, you know, um, women use their tears to fool everyone and they can even fool themselves. Uh, And I wondered if in this movie, do y'all think that that the woman is ever vindicated or do you think that like in in everyone's story she's still kind of like even in her own like she's still kind of the the manipulative this this is a great question this is a great question and i think this will probably be a bigger question but like there's definitely been like feminist um film criticism around this movie Um, Mm -hmm. and i think the film and this this is four guys talking about a movie that Mm -hmm. is about sexual assault like we are not going to get this correct but i think the the movie both wants and doesn't want to be on her side. Like the movie clearly has something to say about men needing to own women. Like mm-hmm. like I won't touch that woman if she's been touched by someone else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. she she she's been assaulted in front of you, and he's like, oh, she's been defiled. Like go with that other guy. And, mm-hmm. the, and the movie clearly is interested in that, but it also the way the movie frames her, like literally frames her. The movie's always like looking down on her mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. ogling. Which, which which is conflicting to me because I'm like, are you on her side or is the movie another – is the movie supposed to be another man looking down on her? You know what I mean? Right. So yeah. That's a question. It could also communicate that she she is in like a low headspace herself that's and true. has like a bad – True. You know? That's true. And she has – she has a, yeah, exactly, a poor self-image. Mm, yeah. 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 Zach? Yeah, I – 
I, yeah, I really didn't know how I was supposed to feel about her, you know, like, cause it's like, she's the victim. And then so easily the narrative just kind of spins where I'm like, Oh, are we not supposed to like you? Like, what mm. you know, what's going on? Um, I, that, that part when she faints and then she's like, Oh, I woke up and the dagger was in his chest. I was like, did she, did she fall down and stab him in the chest? And then that's <laughs> what it seems like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I was, I, we can get into it more like, cause the next story is mm. like go further I'll, with her character. But. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that, uh, as far as her performance here and I, and I, I really like, there's like my three favorite performances in this are Mifune, uh, Machiko as the, as the wife and then the medium who we get to in the next oh, the story. Medium is so great. But I think that her performance really uh, here, Machiko's performance, you can see it travel when she's begging him to, to forgive her or just, or to say something, I think. And she's holding the knife and you see her like go from pleading to kind of like angry. And she starts advancing towards yeah, him yeah. and then she faints. And even then it's not clear whether like, Oh, I fainted. And then I woke up and he was dead or no, I killed him because he was pissing me off right? because he didn't yeah. forgive me. Um, you know, but uh, and then in the samurai story, obviously the samurai is dead. So uh, they get they work around that by uh, getting a medium to conjure him and tell the story through herself. Uh, the samurai <laughs> claims that after assaulting his wife, Tajimaru asked her to travel with him. She accepted and asked Tajimaru to kill her husband, not you two fight, straight up kill him uh, so that she would not feel the guilt of belonging to two men. Tajimaru is shocked by this. He's kind of turned off and he and he throws her on the ground and, and basically says, like, you choose what happens. Uh, do I let her go or do I kill her? Uh, the samurai says, for these words alone, I was ready to pardon his crime. Yeah. Which uh, is and, like, <laughs> it's like, bro. Awesome. And then the woman flees and Tajamaru, after attempting to recapture her, gives up and sets the samurai free, who then kills himself with the wife's dagger, performing, you know, ritual suicide, uh, seppuku. And, uh, and then later someone takes the dagger from his chest, but we don't know who did it. Uh, so this part is really where like, again, what Wes just said really comes to light that, you know, because in a way, and, uh, as far as like my, my characteristics for each, um, obviously the samurai is depicting himself as very honorable in this moment. Um, whatever that means for that time period, Tajimaru is conniving and the woman is treacherous, right? Yeah. Because like, as soon as she has an opportunity Oh, kill my husband, the man, the love of my life. You know, how could she do that to me type of thing? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think that this is where the movie is, is at, it's at its peak of like pro feminism, I guess, in terms of like, look at these two men, even on the meta level, because within the story, obviously it's casting judgment on the woman, right. but yes. on the meta level, it's saying, look at these two men who have decided that like this woman is, um, a floozy and also like she's she's manipulative and she should just die because mm -hmm. you know um and like the mercy that i had to spare her even after she betrayed me like that and also um, that men men are more men will resort to violence faster than they will parse their feelings yeah. you know what i mean like the fact that right in all these stories she is assaulted right mm -hmm. no matter yes. in what version of it she's assaulted like that's the solid object in the story the the way the, the places the stories diverge is how the men react and it's always yeah. to violence like yeah. they always go straight mm -hmm. to like i'm gonna kill her or you for doing this th you know what i mean and yeah, i think yeah. that, that's also what goes along with what you're saying for doing it to me too it's like yeah. the it's like for the samurai it's like the the rape happened to him mm -hmm. yeah. you know more so than he has any sympathy for, for his wife yeah 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 
It's an interesting yeah. performance uh, from him too. It, it, it doesn't have any moments of like, you know, he's not yelling a lot, but there are, he is doing a lot of staring and, and sort of like stoic uh, Intense, contemplation and yeah. intensity. Yeah. Which I think he conveys very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the medium here is just like, it's because excellent. they're doing a cool sound design thing. No, I was going to say it's, it's a great example of like early sound design. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Japanese movie called Onibaba. Have you ever seen that? Mm-hmm. It's got very similar, like mm-hmm. demonic, like, Voices. A demonic filter on top of what the actors do. I wonder how they achieved that. They do it in house day. too, where the, the person has a as like a Satan voice inside of the person's mm-hmm. body. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's yeah. like a really early example of yeah. that, though. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, it's the and the to Reagan from The Exorcist yeah, and the Dead Eyes, right. Yeah, one hundred percent. Maybe the first demon voice in cinema. Possibly, we should research that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. Don't quote me. It, it, yeah, it, maybe. It, not, please edit up a picture of the actual first one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, and also, of course, like in in general, Kurosawa is is preceded by uh, like Yasujiro Ozu uh, is making films a little bit before Kurosawa, but they just they just don't penetrate uh, the bubble of Japan. Uh, the way that Rashomon does. Um, and I actually haven't seen any Ozu films, but I know that Danny's a big fan. Uh, so Which Ozu film? Any of them. Oh, I haven't seen any, oh, but I'm just saying, uh, like, I know that you're a fan, so maybe Tokyo they'll... Story and Good Morning are, like, amazing movies. Mm, yeah. Floating leads is to... Um, so now uh, we come to the Woodcutter's story, and oh, yeah. this one is kind of the one that's framed the most as, like, the Object. truth. Mm. Yeah. But, and we'll talk about you know, Zach mentioned the Rashomon effect up top. There's some interesting stuff I read about that. Uh, we'll talk about how this might have been misinterpreted. Yeah. But in the Woodcutter's version of the story, uh, now we're back at Rashomon Gate after the trial has ended. Mm-hmm. The Woodcutter says, you know, um, all three stories were wrong. Everybody lied. He witnessed the assault and the murder, but he declined the opportunity to testify at the trial because he didn't want to get involved. According to his new story, Tajomaru begged the samurai's wife to marry him but the woman instead freed her husband. The husband was initially unwilling to fight Tajimaru, saying he would not risk his life for a spoiled woman, but the woman then criticized both of them, saying they weren't real men, that a real man would fight for a woman's love. Mm. Win it at the the point of a sword, I think is something like what it's translated to. Mm -hmm. Uh, She urged the men to fight one another, but then hid her face in fear once they raised swords. The men, too, visibly fearful as they began fighting. In his recollection, the resulting duel was far more pitiful and clumsy than Tajamaru had recounted previously, yeah. with the men constantly tripping and flailing their swords wildly. But Tajamaru does win through a stroke of luck. After some hesitation, he kills the samurai and the woman runs away. Uh, he couldn't, Tajamaru couldn't catch her, but he took the samurai sword and left the scene limping. Uh, in this, I have their characteristics down. Um, the woman is cruel. Uh, the, the, the bandit is insecure and the samurai is cowardly. Well, this is what I love so much about the Mufune performance is like when you're watching it at first, he's like Han Solo. You know what I mean? Like he's like he's like a cool rogue. You know what I mean? And I think even Han Solo was inspired in part by some of Mufune's performances. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So like I think he's he's playing that role that he was good at playing. But like by the end, he's like super pathetic. Like you, yeah. you, you, there's that great over the head shot where he's the smallest thing on screen, and he's <laughs> just like, and there's like bushes around the frame, and you're looking at him, and you're like, oh, and I believe this too. Like I believe yeah. that this is one person with a bunch of aspects to him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think it's, right. it's really it's a great performance. Yeah. yeah. 
that the fight was just so entertaining oh, to watch. <laughs> the justification for why would one couldn't just like slice the other like they were just they'd be like right in front of each other one would have the sword and go to swing just completely over their heads uh, <laughs> it was it, that was really fun to watch and i i like that especially because yeah thinking back to the way that the the bandit describes the fight from his point mm-hmm. of view it was epic mm-hmm. and in reality it's like it's like tag you know what i mean it's like adult right. purge tag and then I mean, and, and yeah, but I mean, is is it is this the truth? And this is where like I I, I want to ask y'all because, you know, I think that the the priest uh, and basically after this, you know, uh, uh, the movie pretty much ends. Uh, there's a baby that's heard crying in the gate, and the men that's go important. looking for it. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> the commoner steals a bunch of clothes from the baby, and they're like, "Why would you do that?" And the commoner says, "You know, um, listen, it is what it is." And uh, by the way. You didn't mention what happened to that pearl dagger because you probably took it. Yeah. So yeah. you're a bandit calling someone else a bandit. Get out my face. And then he leaves. Um, and then uh, the priest. seen in the movie from like the forest, like mm. the only like <laughs> constant that the movie has is under the Rashomon gate. Yes. Because like, even him discovering the body in the very beginning was like all. It's a lie. lie. It's a yeah. lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and so the commoner leaves. Um, but then the priest and the woodcutter have a conversation. And the woodcutter says, "Look, I have six kids at home. I can take this one. It's fine." Uh, and it's kind of implied that he stole the dagger to feed those six now seven oh, children. Right. Uh, and now he and then he leaves. And the sun kind of, the 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 sun kind of peeks out from under the clouds over Rashomon Gate. Sort of an optimistic ending, although. I read that Kurosawa had wanted another cloud to be in view so that you know that like darkness doesn't just disappear. It's always mm-hmm. on the verge of returning, but the weather just didn't work. Couldn't get the cloud to cooperate. Couldn't. Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> the cloud was due on set that day, but it, uh, on the but flip it side, stayed people home. talk about the uh, symbolic wind in seven samurai. And it's like, they were probably shooting on a windy day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, but, but the reason I, I, I just, to, I wanted to close up the summary and jump back to the woodcutter story is because, um, we have it's it's an interesting panoply of characters that are at this Rashomon gate, right? Because you have this woodcutter who's just like a guy. You have the other guy, you know, the commoner who's there to kind of like doubt everything, and then you have the priest who is representing God. He's representing morality, yeah. and I I think that the woodcutter has an impetus to lie to the priest because he wants to seem blameless, you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if he has like no involvement in what goes on, he just was an observer even though that in itself can be a sort of immoral thing, depending on the situation. You know, yeah. if you see someone being assaulted, maybe you have a, you, you should feel you have a duty to step in. Um, but men with swords, whatever. Uh, point just being, though, that like, yeah, he would have been compelled, I think, to lie as well. But what's happened yeah. since I read about the Rashomon effect is like, now the tendency is like in cop procedurals or movies or whatever, to very clearly paint the final story as objective yeah, truth. Yeah, truth right. but that that wasn't, you know, even the actors were asking Akira like, yo, so what's the truth? And he's like, it's not about that. Mm-hmm. You know, the, it's not about what objectively happened. It, it is about mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the fragility of, of our subjective experiences. And then exercise on perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Objectivity even exists. Like, you know what I mean? Like everybody alters yeah. the story to fit, mm-hmm. uh, Everybody alters a story with a motive. You know what I mean? It's always right. in there. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. When, when, my, when my brother tells a story, he's like, yeah, and the guy was smoking a cigarette, and I punched him, and it flung up in the air, and I caught the cigarette. I'm like, no, this didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> this didn't happen that way. Yeah, oh, that's what I wanted to say. 
the 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 how disappointing you know like like Thanos says reality is often disappointing mm-hmm. right like e- even if because I I I believe that while the woodcutter could have also fabricated something I think that might be the closest I think it's thematically resonant if that if his story is the closest to the truth right third party uh, perspective it's like the right. least subjective right yeah. the least reason to make any of them look good and that's why all of them do look bad um because that's the one where the wife is like full on insane yeah. uh and she's yeah. laughing for like you know seconds on end and then you have this really cool shot reverse shot sequence of Tajimaru and the husband advancing on one another this is where you can kind of really see that reflect that reflective lighting um like coming up on Tajimaru and mm. on the husband um so yeah really cool cinematography and yeah at the end of the day it, it it's it's um, it's doing a lot to kind of make us think about the way we remember things. It really did make me think back on some of like the worst moments of my life or even just like, you know, things that happen. I'm like, is that what happened? Like, or, right. am I crazy? You know what I mean? And, it, <laughs> and that's not what it's about, but I, I do really appreciate that that movie was able to make me think like, okay, well, you know, I might remember something this way. Um, but it didn't necessarily happen that way, even though it's not a comforting thought really in this movie, you know, it, mm. it can be. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, like memory, you know, in general, obviously is such a, is such a strange thing because there's people that say, you know, each time you remember something, especially the further away it is, you're not remembering it. You're remembering your last memory of it. Yeah. Um, mm. and that starts to change the older you get mm-hmm. is I think of like, you know, when I, when I try to remember childhood, like is there actually a vestigial memory somewhere of me being four years old, you know, singing Richard Smallwood gospel songs in the living room? Or am I just imagining that based on what people have told me has happened? And then my mind is filling in the blanks, you know, copy of a copy. Yeah. Right. And then like, you know, and then, and then you think like, well, what's the difference? You know, if you want to get really deep with it, as far as the connection to tenant, um obviously obviously both both movies on a on a (laughs) i know wes uh i i I hope you've thought of something i'm gonna say both movies obviously from a from a filmmaking level and a theoretical level uh are replaying themselves constantly um and and they want you to kind of like uh i mean i think tenet less so than again something like memento but they want you to question what's going on uh, and the idea of like the past, what the passage of time does to mm-hmm. how we remember things. And I also think that the depiction of women is pretty similar in both these movies because, yeah, uh, actually, wow. uh, because, uh, what's her name? Elizabeth. Debicki. Elizabeth Debicki is like the only woman in that movie aside from the soldier. Uh, yeah. and she's oh, yeah. living in a battered relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and her like strength or, or, um, victory resilience yes comes but it comes out of like her response to that abuse and also like her coming to a point of i don't know like there's a there's a there's a question about like their sanity i think for both women Mm -hmm. you know um there's a liberation that elizabeth debicki more clearly has when she dives off the edge of the of the boat and sees herself creating that paradox um but you could also say there's a there's a way you could read rashomon to say like Oh yeah, uh, the wife was liberated, uh, you know, in the woodcutters telling of the story because she made these two men fight to the death she, over her. Yeah, and, she had agency, more agency than she did in the rest of the stories. Right, yeah. right. I, I would also say along the lines of what Zach said at the beginning of the episode, but like 
both movies are about like fixed time, like time, time, whatever happened, happened. Mm -hmm. And the consequences are going to roll out of that event. Mm -hmm. And no matter how many times you try to flip it and turn it and, uh, and replay it, the consequences are the consequences because we are in a fixed timeline. Nice. Zach said. (laughs) That was good. This guy knows. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the stuff. (laughs) Huh. <laughs> it's timelines. I was following all that. Yeah, um, but yeah, that that is uh, I, that's Rashomon. How how would we rate it, each of us? Oh. It's immortal for me. I mean, yeah. it's as important as movies get. So, mm. I, I would say I would say reanimate it. Just I, I think a rewatch would probably bump it up to immortal. But mm. uh, just for from my first viewing, I would say reanimate it definitely. I I thought it was. I thought it was a great movie um, and it should mm-hmm. be talked about more. And it's, it's not, it's like, I really never really heard about it until I feel like I talked to you about it and, you yeah. know, taking as many acting and uh, filmmaking and theater classes as I did, I feel like it's wrong that I haven't heard of it more. So oh, I'm for sure. Of- and yeah, I mean, I, you know, I listen, verify my ranking though, because it's, it's not out of entertainment value, Zach. I mean, I, I don't think you would watch it again and, and think more highly of it. It's, it's purely because of how impressive it is for the time and how significant it is for Japanese cinema and, and mm. the, the careers of Mifune and Kurosawa uh, moving forward. Sure. But what I'm saying is a rewatch with more context, you know, thing, context that I don't really have maybe necessarily that you guys have just cause you, okay. you know what I mean? Like, I think that that's what I mean. Not, it gets more entertaining, but with added context and a rewatch, it bumps it up, you know? Yeah. I, I was also going to say that, um, uh, the, yeah, I mean, Obviously, you know, if you're if you're a film nerd, film buff like like most of us are, you've heard of Rashomon even on, you know, it's as, as far as foreign movies go, it's kind of like one of the known ones if you know foreign movies. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, uh, uh, it's it, yeah, it is kind of like I think it's definitely obscure for a lot of people, even though they've seen it in other ways that they don't know about. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wes? Uh, I would also go with Reanimated. I think it's a it's a really well done movie, I think. I mean, but, you know, it comes down to like inches at this point. It's like, would you cut it right. on a Saturday or did you cut something else on? I would cut something else on. Um, but I enjoy it. Like, I think I think it's a it's a pretty dense movie for it being only 90 minutes. I think mm-hmm. the acting is incredible all around. Um, I don't know. I, I think I think I am more appreciative of the action and mystery movies that it, it has inspired than the film itself, mm-hmm. I think, is where I'd look. Interesting. That's interesting. Um, yeah, I I actually also will go reanimated, but not for the same reasons. Um, I think that it, I think when I say that, I think that people need to know more about Rashomon than just the things that it's inspired. So I'd, I'd want it to kind of be re, uh, recirculated into com into common discourse. Um, and I think that like, that's gonna, that that's what, yeah. When I say reanimated, that's what I mean in this case is that it it's, it's, it's impact has is is obvious but it itself is not and so i think that like if uh, hopefully by talking about it like you know our platform as it grows we point we put more people onto it that may not have known about it um and i think that uh yeah that's that's kind of where i fall on it i know we forgot to do aged age the worst and age the best i don't know if you guys had anything that you thought fell into either oh yeah well and you know the the misogynistic stuff the misogyny is is has aged badly 
the massage. Dude, there's no point of even touching on that stuff for me. I mean, it's you know, obviously it's a movie from the '50s and it has very old school conservative. Sure, movie. but you could say the same thing about Black Narcissus, which had... yeah, and, and with Black Narcissus, I didn't yeah. think it was that relevant either. Oh yeah, about. to talk about the brown. Fa- well, yeah, okay, so then that's fair. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's a cutoff period where like movies were a certain way, and mm-hmm. and you kind of in in you have to take them by their merit. But like, for example, Danny and I, we've talked about how superhero movies age like milk, for example, like from an effect standpoint and even from a thematic standpoint sometimes. So, um, so yeah, that, that'll be something to look forward to. Um, Zach, do you have your selection for next week? You know, uh, I've been, I've been wrestling back and forth with two. And I feel like this, the, that very last bit of conversation that you just brought up has, has made me choose. Chronicle. Okay. Oh boy, right. the Max yeah, I was, Landis production. I was going to say because uh, Zach, I thought you were going to choose Mulholland Drive. I was going to say Rashomon and Mulholland Drive of a lot of us. I'm sorry, Danny. Next time, I promise. <laughs> it was the super. It was just the discussion of how superhero movies age that that tipped the scale for me. I think this will be different because it's the fir- It'll be the first time we reviewed a movie that's that's come out like we said in the 21st century. I've never seen Chronicle. Oh, um, oh it has aged like milk <laughs> <laughs> everything about it is aged badly. yeah it's- so yeah so we'll we'll see um what it's looking like next time in the morgue but that's going to do it for this episode we thank you graciously for paying us a visit in this humble Woo! mortuary if you like what you heard check out our back catalog on spotify apple Podcasts, youtube and the podbean app rate and review the show where you can helps us out a lot follow us on socials at the media morgue and consider supporting us on patreon where we have tiers for early episode access and other bonus content. Till next time, Wayward Movie Watchers, we love you. We love you. Hey. Yeah.